G'day and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. Uh, thanks very much for the support of the show. Uh, if this is your first episode, welcome. Uh, if it is not, I just want to say a big uh, shout out to everyone who enjoyed particularly the Kurt Fernley episode. Um, I got a lot of lovely emails and tweets and feedback about that episode. Uh, I'm glad that you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing it. And I will say, uh, I reminded everybody, Pushing the Limits, Kurt's book. Uh, I don't have to plug it. It wasn't part of the deal or anything. I just love that book. If you like a sports book, if you want to know more about Kurt after you heard that uh podcast we tried to avoid all the sort of major major things that are in the book i think you'll really enjoy that read i did have a copy there i was going to give away i got so many emails from people uh thank you for sharing your stories of why the book would be important to someone in your life uh i have given it away now uh but i will also pass on all the emails to kurt as well just uh so that he knows and he gets that feedback but of course you can find him on twitter at kurt fernley if you want to tell him how much you enjoyed either the podcast or his book. Uh, thank you for the general feedback about the podcast being back. Uh, it's, it's a bit of a hard one, this one, to, to make sure I can find a suitable guest every week. Uh, but I'm trying my best, and I, I, I do appreciate all the support that there has been. I know people really loved the Dr. Carl episode and the Judith Lucy episode. And uh, I, I would definitely recommend that people check out the Emily V. Gordon episode. I think she's absolutely magnificent. And uh, if you didn't catch the Lauren Freed one the first time around, I think that's a really cool episode too. Uh, okay, so uh, today's episode, just one of my uh, great mates, somebody that I just have so much time for that I've known for 20 years and someone who was a bit nervous about doing the podcast because they didn't think that they had anything particularly deep or profound to share with you. Uh, it's a bit, maybe a bit of a lighter chat, but I think... In this lighter chat, you get to know as much about this person and as much about life as you get to know in any of these interviews. You know, I think just by talking to somebody about, you know, topics in their lives, you get an insight into what sort of person they are and what their philosophy is in general, even if they aren't necessarily a person who can say it in a sentence or, you know, capture in a moment what their philosophy is. I think you you get a sense of it from listening to them talk. So, I hope you do that from this episode. I certainly loved it. Uh, it's Miff Warhurst, I should mention that. You probably know that. You've downloaded the episode and it says it in the title. But uh, for people who don't know Miff, I'm, I, here's the thing. I don't like to do a big bio thing at the start. Uh, but Miff is a, a, a beloved Australian performer and I, I think you're going to find this chat delightful. I'm going to do a couple of quick plugs. Uh, firstly, if you're a fan of my other podcast, Tofop uh, or Fofop, we're doing the uh, Fofop 200th episode uh monday the 9th of february at the nerd melt theater on sunset in west hollywood uh it's an all-star lineup it's our faux fengers show there's an awesome poster that james fosdyke has done uh, of us all as the avengers uh the guests for that episode are of course dave anthony playing the hulk uh we have gareth reynolds of course as hawkeye we have jen kirkman as the black widow uh we have daniel sloss as Thor, and we have Matt Kirsch and the science guy, of course, as Iron Man. So it's an all-star lineup. It is a completely free show, uh, but there is a link on the Meltdown page uh, or on our Facebook page if you want to book tickets to make sure uh, the people who book, uh, they get in first. And, and of course, if there's uh, room free, then anybody can come on the night. It's going to be huge. I bought $100 worth of Australian chocolates at the airport when I was flying over to L.A., uh, so there's going to be a selection of Australian chocolates, if nothing else, for people to enjoy. People can be uh, enjoying the show and also have a, a mini cherry ripe or a mini Tim Tam or a mini, mini caramello koala. 
Uh, if you like this show and you want to support this show, uh, sorry, I've been banging on a little bit, but uh, please come and see my shows. That's the best way to support this show. Uh, the more you guys come and see my live shows, the more time I have and the more resources that I can put into something like this. So uh, my free will tour is on sale. Uh, start the Adelaide Fringe, March the 2nd in the Garden of Unearthly Delights. I'll be at the Brisbane Powerhouse uh, two weeks after that uh, for a week during the Brisbane Comedy Festival. Now, Brisbane Comedy Festival shows, they normally, it's only a limited run and they normally sell out. So if you want to get in for those ones, I would recommend getting in really quickly. Uh, and then, of course, uh, the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. I will be at uh, the Comedy Theatre, that's where I'll be doing my show, the Comedy Theatre, where I was last year, and I've done my show there four or five times. It's a, just a brilliant comedy room. The Comedy Theatre, and I will be doing the entire run starting uh, early too, starting on the Tuesday of the first week. So if you want to come and see Free Will, uh, my brand new show, we uh, recorded the Illuminati DVD on January 19. That'll be out end of March. I just uh, signed off on the... Uh, <laughs> oh God, I had to sit and watch myself so many times in the last few days. Uh, I appreciate that you guys come and watch me, but I, I shouldn't have to sit there and watch me over and over and over. But I'm very happy with how the DVD turned out. Thanks to everyone who came to the Opera House shows. And I think it's going to look really cool. And also on that DVD when it comes out, uh, we've a added an extra show. I did a week of fully improvised shows at the Sydney Comedy Store just before Christmas called What You Talking About, Will? And we've just taken one of those nights and added it as an extra. So you've got kind of the big main show, the final night. It's actually the final show that I ever did that we recorded uh, of a tour that had been going for 11 months. And uh, on the other show, you'll get one that was just made up on that night, just from one night. So I guess that's going to be a nice contrast of different things. But come and see my live shows. That'd be fantastic. Uh, if you are in the USA, I'll be at the San Francisco Sketch Fest this weekend doing set list and doing a big international showcase with uh, Matt Kirshen and Daniel Sloss and uh, Janine Garofalo is hosting that one. That's going to be really cool. I'm doing a set list with a bunch of really funny people. Uh, Moshe Cash is on that and uh, a bunch of really cool people will be on. Matt Kirshen might even be on that set list show as well. So that's going to be huge. Uh, on the 16th of February, I'll be trialling uh, the first night ever trialling material for Free Will. Uh, that'll be at the Steve Allen Theatre and Dave Anthony will be trialling his show Hothead uh, for the Melbourne Comedy Festival. It's only 10 bucks, and you get to see both shows. That's the Steve Allen Theatre. Uh, so that's Monday. Uh, February the 16th, I think. And then the following Monday, I'll be at Hot Tub, uh, one of the best uh, and one of my favourite gigs around LA, Hot Tub. I'm actually doing it tonight, but it's probably a bit late for that plug. Uh, so I guess that's it. Uh, please come and see one of the shows. Um, if you like this podcast and you can't see one of the shows or you just don't like my stand-up comedy, but you like this podcast, which is feedback I get about this podcast, <laughs> which... I mean, it's nice that you like the podcast, but you know what? You could just like it and, and not tell me that you don't like my other stuff. That's fine. I understand that not everybody's going to like everything I do. I loved those Foo Fighters, Sonic Highways documentaries, but I did not like that Foo Fighters album. It's okay. It doesn't mean that I didn't like the documentaries, but I didn't fucking write Dave Grohl a letter and say, hey, I really like your documentary except for your shit song at the end. Anyway, that's probably just me, so I should get better at that. Come on, Will, you're 41. Just let it go. Anyway, if you like this podcast and you want to support the podcast, but you don't want to do anything uh, you know, other than something for free, here's what you can do. Uh, rate it on iTunes. Subscribe on iTunes. It keeps it up the top of the charts. Uh, we actually beat Serial one time. Yeah, we knocked off Serial. That was, that, was, that was a good moment. So let's see if we can do that again. Uh, anyway, I've banged on too much. We've got so many of these uh, coming up. 
I've already recorded episodes with uh, Nazim Hussain. Uh, I've got a Charlie Pickering. Well, I've got half a Charlie Pickering because I think we're going to do a two-part episode because we barely got started in the chat that we had. Uh, Glenn Robbins up my sleeve. Um, Jen Kirkman, uh, the wonderful Jen Kirkman, who I'm, I'm sure most comedy fans will know, but uh, brilliant writer, uh, has a great perspective on life. So there's there's a, a bunch of cracking episodes of this show to come as well, and I'm going to be recording some new ones as well. Uh, thanks for the feedback on guest suggestions. Uh, keep them coming in. Uh, it's always interesting. I'm, I'm probably just going to interview people that I know or like or that I run into and I think will be interesting, but I always like to hear your suggestions of who you think would be interesting on the podcast as well. So let me know about that. Uh, will underscore Anderson is my uh, Twitter. That's probably the easiest place. Uh, to let me know Uh, but if you just like this podcast and you hate all my other stuff just keep that to yourself all right guys uh thanks for listening sorry this was a much longer introduction than it needed to be but uh oh and i still do have one more thing Uh, i've been playing a song at the end of some of the episodes it's called uh i like you it's by st hughes uh nick uh at st hughes um he composed the music that is our intro music and uh, he sent that to me, oh, I guess, a year ago now. Uh, so the intro music and the outro music you hear was composed by Nick. And then that's actually become a whole song, which is the song that I've been playing at the end. That song is uh, going to be available very soon. So, you know, if you like the song and, and you enjoy the music, then you'll be able to buy that and support them as well and uh, support them for supporting our podcast. Uh, again, I don't have to do that plug, but he was generous enough to give me the music. I think it's only fair and people seem to have been liking the song. So... Uh, there you go. All right. This is officially, I think, the longest introduction that I've done. So um, I apologize for that. Uh, but I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Cheers. Welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson, and uh, my guest today. Let's get into it straight away. Uh, who are you? Um, I'm Miff Miff Warhurst. I like that. That was a good answer. I just like to hear what people say. Like <laughs> sometimes people lead with their jobs. Sometimes lead people lead with where we are right now. You know, it always says something. I like that you just went like you. Firstly, you just went. I'm Miff. <laughs> That's it. Like you were like you're like Kylie or Madonna. You only need one name. You're only need one. Goodness me, no. Cause there isn't a lot of myths. There's not a lot of us in the world. I don't think. And yeah, it's. I don't know. I just. I find it really odd saying who I am because you probably know Will having done years of radio. That's the one thing you have to do all the time, and right. that's say, "Hi, I'm." You know. Right. And I've never found anything more uncomfortable than going, hi, I'm Miff Warhurst. Basically, it's like you're in that it. movie Memento and yeah. you're like, oh, yeah, why are you constantly reintroducing yourself? We know who you are. Because you don't do that in real life. Like you just, you never go, hey, hi, I'm Miff Warhurst. Right. Every time you see someone or like every three minutes in a conversation, yeah. just like you're having a conversation with somebody and then you're just like, oh, by the way, I'm you're Will Anderson yeah, and, and uh, now back to. I know. It's weird. So I actually find that. That part of my job really strange. I, I do radio for people who are listening who might not know who I am. I always assume with this, I don't do any intro or anything where I explain who the guests are or why that I have them here or whatever. <laughs> I assume that people, if they're interested enough in the people, will go away and you know research that, yeah. that stuff themselves. So, uh, okay. So, do you have philosophy, Miff? <laughs> I knew this was coming because yeah. this is obviously the objective of the podcast. Well, there's no objective other than that for us to have a chat, but it's the conceit of the podcast more yeah, than anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah good, good. Um, 
I, look, I have many millions of them and many different ones and they change as I change and, the, yeah, they can be different on any given day. Um, I, I, I struggle, really struggle to come up with one. Okay. Well, let's walk through it then and let's find some <laughs> as we go. I like to know this. So where are you from? Where did you grow up? Where did I grow up? Oh, lots of places, actually. Um, oh, did you? Did your parents move around a lot? Yeah. Why? Yeah, what, what line of work were they in? Were they in the witness relocation program? <laughs> nothing. Nothing. The, the nothing. military teachers. <laughs> teachers. Teachers. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. You hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, teachers. So Both teachers. Both of them teachers. Okay. Interesting. Mm, Any right. pressure to be a teacher growing up? No, not really. I think I, I knew from an early age I didn't have the patience to be a teacher. Right. And I'm. I wasn't very good at taking guidance like if my mum was trying to show me things I always wanted to do it myself I didn't want her help so I wasn't very good at that whole exchange of you know listening and 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 learning and I just wanted to get in there and, and muck around and do it myself so what I are teachers like as parents like is is it like a, a chef that doesn't like I, I'm not very funny at home yeah. right uh, like is and sometimes you hear about chefs who only cook shitty food or like don't want to like you know yeah go to the effort when they're at home. Is it like that with teachers? Are they like you know or are they bringing sort of the teaching attitude back home into the house? Uh, I think they well in my case they did. There was a lot of there's a lot of teachery teachery kind of behaviour. Right. I think they were very much their jobs at that time because I think you know probably when they were growing up that's that's what you did that you know you did what you were whereas right. now you can sort of flitter around and do all sorts of things that maybe don't necessarily represent who you are as a person whereas you know they were teachers and they you know they, they wanted people to learn and you know they wanted because uh, we're in small country towns a lot of the time they'd put on musicals and things like that which were great you know and um, okay so what did they teach they taught they, they well they kind of in a way that dad both mum and dad were art teachers but dad ended up becoming a principal but it from what i can gather from what they did is they taught people in you know small communities that that you can do stuff like right. involved in the arts it was actually cool and fun and i gotta be honest with you an art, an art teacher becoming a principal that's that's like <laughs> that is the bolter out of nowhere that's like the afl player who didn't get picked up in the drafts and has been playing in the vfl and suddenly it like a superstar yeah. people see they don't no one's even paying it the economics and the chemistry teacher have been plotting against each other for years <laughs> and mr fucking art class comes swinging by into the principal's chair yeah 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 okay well a uh, different person as a as an art teacher than as a principal. Did the job I, of a principal change? I I never had I never had dad as an art teacher, okay. which is probably good. I had mum, and we did not we did not work well together in the okay. classroom. Not a great collaboration. Not not a great collaboration. No, which is understandable. You shouldn't be hanging out with your parents when you're a young adult. Right, it's probably be the best thing that they could have possibly done for you. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean because you don't want to be too cool with the teacher either, particularly when the teacher's your mum? Yeah, right? exactly. Exactly. No, I think Devin, you know, as a principal, Dad, Dad, Dad still paints, and I know he's got that creative side, but I think it, it encouraged him to become much more of a, you know, solid, upstanding, respectable citizen of the community with very good values and, uh, you know, common sense and all of that stuff right. that comes with being a. A, a Comes with the job of a school. Hitler yeah. also painted, but you know he did some <laughs> other stuff that required a lot more planning and organisation. <laughs> I'm not comparing your dad to Hitler, by the way. How much did you move around? Was it around country Victoria in country particular? Victoria, yeah. yeah. Okay, so list off some of the places you lived. Portland in Victoria. Okay. Uh, then we moved to Donald in Central Victoria. Donald. Donald. There's a place called Donald. Donald. How big is Donald? 
Uh, not very big. Yeah, right. Uh, no, maybe at the, Do you think at some stage it was just one guy called Donald? <laughs> could have been. Like? Could have been. The only thing in Donald, it's a beautiful town. It's an old kind of gold rush town, so it's got that country street thing going okay, on. Okay, sure. But the only thing that sort of that's on their tea towels and stuff is a, a tree that's got a stump that's grown out of it that looks like a bullock's head. So that's the town's kind of right. Um, the weird looking tree. Yeah, it's got that's a weird it. tree. That's it. Dog tree on in the, the river. So- tucker box. Yeah, yeah. Is there a story behind it? Is there some mythical sort of like you know buffalo or whatever that no. was like? It's just when it floods, the river floods. Then they say that the the bullock had a drink. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, good on you, Donald. So they know they know how high the water is. If it's okay. really bad, the bullock gets a drink. Uh, okay, so Donald after after uh, what after Donald after Donald we lived in Redcliffs, which is out near Mildura, which is sort of clo- heading closer towards sort of northwest Victoria, heading towards central Australia, and then after that we sort of lived in a couple of places. Mum and Dad settled. Which was weird, because we. How were, old were you at this stage? I think probably nine. Okay, yeah, yeah, right. So before you go into senior school. Yeah. So where do they settle? Well, they settled in Redcliffs. In, oh, okay. In, in a and once we lived in a house beforehand, we we built our own place that they kind of you know kind of that dream home thing. Uh-huh. It was a mud brick dream home. Oh, was it a mud brick <laughs> dream home? Really? Yes. Were, they, were your parents hippies? <laughs> Well, this is the weird thing. They're so far from hippies. It's right. ridiculous. If you were to meet them, it's not at all, not at all. And yet they were very into alternative housing and um, very, and so we, we built our own So what's it house. like living in a mud brick oh, house? We also lived in a tram for a while there too. So wow. it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> like a tram converted into a house, yeah. I assume, rather than you just had to catch the... <laughs> you had to catch yeah. a circle tram around Melbourne for a couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> Just yep. like evade the ticket inspectors, kids, and we're, we're sweet as. If we need a meal, we'll go on the restaurant tram. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, no, it wasn't like that. It wasn't like that, but yeah. Okay, so uh, so you go to high school where then? Uh, Redcliffe High School, which is okay. like a small country high school. And what's MIF like at high school? Mm. Goodness me. What were you interested in? Like, were you a good student? Were you popular? I think I was all right. I, yeah. think, I don't know how popular you can be when your parents are both at the school. Right. <laughs> like, but I'm going to say, you know, despite having to fight against that, you were popular enough. You were as popular as you could be when your parents both worked at the school. Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. I, I got along with everyone. I didn't seem to have too many troubles at school, but maybe that was because my parents were at the right. school. But no, it seemed, it seemed, it's... Yeah, it was it was kind of fine, but I, I loved music when I was from you know, when you were little. Yeah, and in high school, it how really, did you get into music? What was it that like you know music? Why did that appeal to you? I, I don't know. I, I guess it appealed. Well, I had older brothers who were really into music. Right. So where are you in the family? How many kids? I'm um, bottom of four, so okay. I've got three older brothers. All right. Um, and they, and were you? Did they go for four because they were looking for a girl? No, I think I was. I was definitely an accident, actually. Okay. <laughs> Serendipity, I would like to think, rather. Yeah, no, I turned up some, uh, well, Kit, my brother Kit's only a year older than me, so, okay. yeah, that's, that's pretty Yeah, close. right, it was, like, pretty pretty, pretty early in getting back on the horse, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, oh, right. I'm not thinking about that. Don't. Um, but, yeah, that, and then I asked, <laughs> I did ask Mum, actually, a couple of years ago, I said, was that an accident? She said, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but that's okay, I'm fine with but that. But you know what, we're finally glad we kept you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, you start getting interested in music because you've got older brothers. What sort of music was it st- first? Well, they were pretty 
kind of it was kind of bogan Aussie rock really, and yep. then and metal and and heavier stuff. Um, it was pretty commercial because we didn't have much access to it. Oh, I should say, Dad also is an incredible piano player. Okay, and he played all throughout. You our were just childhood. playing the piano in my living room. Yeah, I just like to mention I have a piano in my living room because I think it makes me piano. sound like Liberace or something, <laughs> <laughs> or at the very least, Tim Minchin. You haven't got enough jewels to be Liberace. Right. I love Liberace. Yeah. <laughs> I went to Liberace's museum in um, it was in Vegas, and it's in it, it's no longer in existence. Oh, and it was off a strip mall. You know the strip malls yeah. that are just kind of it's not even a it's not like a shopping mall as we know it in Australia. It's just a bunch of shops on a corner with a car park. And I went in there, and I was so excited because you know Liberace was Liberace because he you know he embraced all everything that was flamboyant and wonderful, and yet sort of lived this secret double existence and. I mean, as if anyone didn't know that, you know. Right, but publicly at least he had to be, like, he grew up in an era where that still wasn't so... I was actually thinking about this very thing last night. Mm. I was watching, um, I I like cooking shows, like particularly competitive cooking shows though. So like your master chefs or your top chefs or um, I'm watching, you know, Master Chef Junior, The Taste. Like I watch (laughs) them all. And the thing I was realising the other night is... because Junior? Yeah, even Junior. Wow. Oh, no, I like it when Gordon Ramsay makes children cry. (laughs) <laughs> There's something about that. I'm like, this it's is as close as we will get to the Hunger Games in our life. <laughs> and I like it. They signed up for it. That's fine. Yeah, that's true. All their parents did. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So anyway, um, I like watching those shows. But one of the things they often have like towards the end of the series, they'll have some sort of family reunion thing. You know, they, they get the the uh, the wife or the children or the mum or whatever. And they've and been so, so starved o- of attention that they're ready to just burst right. into tears. And anyway. so often in those shows now... Those people, particularly in like cooking shows, fashion shows, those sort of things, a lot of those people are same-sex partnerships, right? And I was just thinking the other night how quickly now, it's not even a storyline in the show. Like, you know, five years ago, yeah, they might have had a gay person on the show, but all that person's journey would have been about the fact they were gay. And now it's literally like, oh, yeah, everyone's here. Yeah, she's got a girlfriend. We assumed you thought she had a girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's the chef on this cooking show. We've just assumed that you thought she had a girlfriend. This one's married. Yeah. Okay, it's fine. And that's a thing, and that's a wonderful change that it's no longer But Liberace didn't have that. Liberace didn't have that at the time. He had to sort of pretend. I'm pretty sure everyone that was into him knew, but there was still that element of pretense and... Yeah, going to his sort of museum. Although from watching that Liberace movie, I think he was more into other people than him being into them. Oh, I know. I didn't realise about the whole changing your boyfriend's face to look more like you kind of thing going on. That was was a bit freaky. Um, But, yeah, okay. So uh, you you grow up, you start listening to a bit of bogan rock, you start getting into music. Can you remember the first album that you bought by yourself? Oh, I do. I'll never forget it. And I think, what, what was yours? Do you, do you remember? Uh, I remember I bought three albums on the same day. Uh, I can it? remember because I got a uh, Did like you have a, a job. No, it was for uh, I got uh, vouchers for Christmas. <laughs> so like you know, what I mean, it was like a Christmas <laughs> thing. So I I went to the shop and I had enough for three albums. Yeah. And one of them's cool. One of them's kind of cool. In fact, I, I'm going to say now cool, but at the time was a bit daggy. Uh, and one of them. I would love to say is cool, but is probably only cool in the most ironic way at four o'clock in the morning. So they were in order of coolness from uh, most cool through to least cool, I would say. Uh, Boys Don't Cry by The Cure. Oh, that's, yeah, that's cool album, pretty right? good. Pretty good. Uh, Graceland, Paul Simon, yeah. which, you know, like, yeah. you know, look at, but I'm, I'm going to stand by that. Yeah, I like yeah, that. No, I think no, that's no, still a good album. That, people love that album. And the other one was uh, You're the Voice, John Farnham. Uh, Whispering Jack, you're John Farnham. <laughs> 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 There's a clap in yeah. the song that sounds Man, rather lo- like that. 
Yes. When I used to go out to nightclubs in Mildura where I was living as yes. an underage, obviously, that was the song that they used to clear the dance floor with at the end of the night, You're the Voice. Is and that right? Yeah, I remember. It was like our New York, New York. <laughs> it's time to go home. <laughs> time you don't to go have home. to go home, but you can't stay here. Had a few passions to probably that song, I think, yeah. on the dance floor. It was, yeah, it's, it's a bit It weird, becomes a bit of a soundtrack to you. You're like, I just don't know why when I hear it I feel slightly mm. young. and. <laughs> it's a bit weird that that's now synonymous to me. It's sort of saucy times at the end of a night. Of West Coast night. cooler in my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's really funny. So, um, what about live music? Oh no, tell me what yours. You didn't tell me what yours was. After all that. Oh, um, mine was Xanadu. Oh, the soundtrack to Xanadu. Yeah, okay. On tape. Now we are here. In Xanadu. Yeah, it's I remember beautiful. watching Xanadu with my mother. It's the worst movie. Well, but it's wonderful. Yeah. I mean, I, I've got to say at the time, because I quite like a musical still today, but mm. at that time, for whatever reason, I was quite fascinated by musicals. And, you know, so any sort of musical. If they say, what, like, like, you can't it's stop them. Even you can't stop the music. You know, the village people yeah. music. I love that film. Like, I am I am the person. It was like, this is perfect. I love why that Why would movie. they that make. Was the first movie I saw at right. the cinema. I'm like, why would they make movies that aren't as good as this? <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> All movies should have the village people in them. <laughs> this is a brilliant film. I agree. Well, I didn't know this about you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch and the then musicals. my mum and I used to go to musicals together. So we saw all, well, everything Andrew Lloyd Webber ever, ever oh, put out. Like, so at the time, because this was the era. So like we saw Cats when it came yeah. out. We saw, um, yeah, but we saw like Starlight Express. Like, you know. You saw Starlight yeah. Express. It didn't last long. No, no, we went and saw it. Um, but like, you know, Beauty and the Beast and like whatever, you know, like uh, Les Mis. What's, I've your, seen. what's your favourite uh, musical song, song from a musical? Oh, that's a good question. Um well, look, to be honest, this Which is one a, do you th- find yourself singing at well, moments where you don't even know you're singing? This it? is a bit of a, a cheat answer to this, but it would be I th- there are like have you seen The Book of Mormon, the South Park musical? I haven't seen it, no. That there is so much of that soundtrack that I have found myself like in public. Like I have it on my iPod, but sometimes if, even if I'm not listening, I will just like something will remind me of a line from it, and then it's in your head, and I will find myself singing out loud lyrics that you should not be saying out loud in public, like really offensive. Like there's a lot of that stuff. It's like when I was in Washington and I like had, had downloaded the new Jay Z album, and I'm singing along to it in the street, and I'm just like, you know what? These are not words you're allowed to say, even oh. singing along in your iPhone. I love that. Yeah. So, but I do like a musical. I like anything where they burst into a bit of song. I, yeah. I, I went and saw Spam a lot when that was on. I, you know, when that was winning all the Tonys yeah, yeah, and yeah. stuff. I saw The Boy from Oz by myself. I, I went to see it by, by myself in New York. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, heaps. I was, I, you know, I, I love a musical. Mm-hmm. What about you? Uh, I I got a, I got really obsessed with Leonard Bernstein and West Side Story. I was a bit of a, I must have okay. been a bit of a music nerdy kid, uh-huh. and I spent a lot of time. Well, I had to study it as part of school, but I I got obsessed. So whenever I think of a musical, I'm just like, what's the, you know the cool song, boy, boy, crazy boy. You know when they do that sort of dance fight that. thing. That's yes. my that's my go to musical song because okay. you don't actually have to sing. Grease. I was seeing. Oh. I, I like anything that was on TV. <laughs> oh, I was the lead in the King and I at high school. Oh. Goodness. Yeah, yeah, I played the king. You played the king. Yeah, and we blacked up. Oh, no. Yeah, well, Asianed up, but yeah. Wow. Yeah, I know. Wow. Right. Okay. Times have changed, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I might not have lived through the time of Liberace, but I've lived through some times as well. Wow. And that was times your have hey changed. Hey Saturday moment. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Are there right. photos? 
I mean, I hope not. No. I mean, I imagine somewhere probably someone could find one, but like, you know, I was a 14 year old kid. It wasn't a hate crime. No, no, not at all. But, <laughs> but the other thing was, it was this weird fake tanny stuff, and it was in the early days of fake tan. So it like stained me for like, so for like weeks as I'm like playing sports and stuff, I'd have these big brown like stains <laughs> under my pits and shit that still hadn't gone away. I totally understand. I grew up in the 80s and fake tan was a thing. Like we'd put sun in, in our hair, you know, that spray in lemon stuff to make oh, yeah, it blonder. Yeah. Yep. And then lather ourselves in fake tan before it had even been really kind of gone through the laboratories correctly, you know. There was no no kind of checks and balances here. So I remember just covering myself in it because I used to love a tan with pre, you know, bad skincare and all that. Um, and I covered it and then I then I went swimming and all of a sudden it all started to rub off but just in one spot. So both of my knees <laughs> were just <laughs> white knees. <laughs> it wasn't pretty. Uh, when you were a kid, uh, you're a teenager, you know, you're mm-hmm. at school now, you're studying, you're kind of making friends, you know, you're getting interested in music and stuff. Did you have any sense of like uh, what it is that you might like to do as a job or did you have a thing then at the time you thought you were going to do as a job? I don't think I've ever really known what it is I want to do. I still don't. Interesting. Yeah. So you don't have like a, a plan or anything? No, plans are, plans are dangerous. Okay, explain to me what you mean by that. <laughs> I like it because I don't have a plan either. And when people ask me for advice, like I always am like, I don't know. I've, I've been making up every fucking single day I've been doing this. I've got no idea what I'm doing. No, no. And I think things come to you and you think that whether you, you decide whether or not you're able to do them. But yep. I, I don't know. I'm not sure about that whole kind of philosophy of the secret where you envisage something and it will happen. And I, I think that's just a it's kind of it will could only possibly lead to disappointment if you're one of the many who that sort of luck doesn't happen to. I'm not sure if it's a disappointment thing, but I think it's also dangerous to say that's what I want to do and that's what I only ever want to do because you um, pigeonhole yourself into only doing a certain type of thing. And I, and I, I feel like I'm a completely different person to when I was 20 years ago or even two years ago. I feel like I've, I'm such a different person each step of the way that – it's, it'd be impossible to work it out. Mate, I would not have trusted 17-year-old me to make me a fucking boost juice. <laughs> and yet I'm meant to have trusted 17-year-old me to choose what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. It's a fucking stupid idea. It's horrible. and I think 17-year-old me. I'll show you some haircuts I had when I was that fucking age. He was not trusted at a fucking barbershop, let alone planning the rest of my fucking oh, life. It's awful. And I hate to see that pressure put on kids to have to know what they want to do and you can see them being you know little little young adults and worried about their exam results and all of that sort of stuff it's- well that's the thing i don't think we explain to kids a lot we end up talking about education a lot on this mm. podcast but it's a, something that i'm fascinated with and how we can do it better and i do believe that education is the greatest tool for social yeah. mobility that is available to most people but i but i don't think education for an end I think education for a bigger, right. a bigger understanding, so, a greater understanding of the world, and, and less rather than just siphoning people down a particular track. I know that sounds a bit light and airy fairy, but I, no, I, I, but I agree with you, and that's what this is about. Mm. And so, I have kind of two things to say about that, or to add to that, which is this: I think that firstly. We we make a mistake in the way that we explain education to people, which is we make it as if you have to know these things to like you do this job or whatever. Mm. So that's when kids switch off. They go in class, they go, well, I don't want to be a chemist. So why the fuck would I care about chemistry? Yeah. Whereas what we should explain to people is two things. Firstly, 
it, we want everyone to be educa- better educated because the more better educated we all are, the better chance as a human race we all have for survival. Firstly, yes. other people being ed- better educated means at least the person at the shops can add up your change when they hand it to you or at least, you know, the people are walking on the right side of the footpath at a very minimum, you know what I mean? Like, smarter people is better for us all. But secondly, we need to explain kids the way of going, all we're teaching is all this stuff. The better you do, the less options you eliminate right? The yes. more choices you have. We're not saying you have to do this thing forever, but if you know about all these things, you might change your a lot in your life and we're just going to give you as much. That, it's like exams. Yeah. You can If you really want to do something and you don't get the marks in year 12, there are other yeah, ways otherwise. to do it. There always is another way to do it. But secondly, you should explain to kids going, hey, you might not know what you want to do now, so get as high a mark as you possibly can because then you'll just have more choices yeah. of things that you can do when you decide that you yeah. do it rather than... Yeah, putting it as this be-all or end-all. And I think as an adult, you realise, the older I get, that you know, I realise life throws so many things at you that you kind of need to be prepared for more more than less, like as, as you get older rather than, you know, and so a broader education will help you with that. Right. You know, and also this idea that, I mean, like the, the, some of these things are things that we can't measure very well, which is like, you know, how important your emotional intelligence will be in how you know much you prosper, mm. you know, in life. Like, you know, your marks are just one small part of it. Yeah. You can be a brilliant genius who can't communicate with people and you, you might not be able to facilitate what it is that you want to do. I mean, there are so many things that are immeasurable that will, you know, determine how your life goes. So tell me about your education. Did you think it was a good education? Did you feel engaged in it? I did because I like learning, I think. Um uh, look, it was probably limited compared to kids that grew up in a bigger community because uh-huh. it was it was just a you know public high school and we how, didn't, how many we didn't, people were at the high school? I think three hundred students. Okay, when we so, were there. That's so not it too wasn't bad. it wasn't too bad. But um, like I was the only student. I got out of doing maths in year eleven uh-huh. because I did. No, I might have even no. I was doing basic maths in year ten and I wasn't very good at that. Um, I think you had to do maths until year 10. Yeah. Because I I think I quit maths after year 10, which I regret now. But at the time, I was like, well, when am I ever going to do maths? But I got out of it because I got to do music. And I was the only student that did music at that level. So, you know, it's not like you were surrounded by people who were kind of thinking the same way as you or doing the same things as you were doing. If you liked something, you kind of, it was solo time. Okay. That's interesting. So you must have been passionate about things enough to pursue it. On your own, because at that time there's got to be some social stigma as well. Don't you yeah. want to be doing what all the other girls are doing? Yeah, no, I never thought about it no. like that. Never ever came into my mind. I think I've always been pretty, um, I don't know, self-contained. Uh-huh. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I quite like my own company. and um, That's an interesting thing, because some people are terrified by that. Now, I'm not making a judgment call one way or the other, but hey, I'm going to ask you. What are you? What are you? Well, I'm, def- I'm very, very comfortable by myself. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't have the life that I have. I mean, most of my time is by myself. Yeah. I'm on the road. I'm in places where I know nobody. And I, I, I'm fine with that. I enjoy that. Mm. But um, I'm going to ask you some of the key questions that freak people out. Uh, how are you eating a meal by yourself in a restaurant? Not so good these days. Um, I used to be great right. at it. These days I'm a little bit weirder about it. I don't know. I just, yeah, I'd, 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 I'd rather be sitting with someone these days, but I never used to. I sometimes look at someone I'm sitting with and go, I'd rather you were my newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, <laughs> you see so many people sitting together having nothing in common with the other person. Right. Like you see a couple that have been together forever and the guy's just ignoring their partner and you just think, oh, 
you might as well be on your own, really. Okay. And secondly, what about the movies? How do you go going to the movies? I love going to the movies on my own. Yeah. I, I actually think sometimes it's better. Yeah. I, I really only like going to the movies with people I know really well. Right. Because to me, it's nothing better than somebody. There's nothing worse than somebody else's like re- a reaction to the film or behavior during the film yeah. or whatever, just ruining the entire yeah. experience. For don't, you. <laughs> don't fuck around with the movies. I say you just it, it's right. it's between you and the movie. Right. That's your time. That's such a it's yeah. such a special time. Hey, shush, mate. They've gone to an effort. <laughs> like this is seriously. We've come out. We're sitting here. If you want to talk through something, we'll get a fucking we'll illegally download something from the internet. How about that? <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm totally solo. I look, I, I'm happy to go with my my partner. That's fine. He's yep. fine. We've got rules. He's got rules. Um, we're not allowed to touch his popcorn until the movie actually starts. I I say that's a little bit OCD. That's, but, that's an interesting yeah, rule. Um, and yeah, I I just kind of yeah, I enjoy that solo experience at the movies. Right. And or unless I'm with a friend. Why? Where does that comfortable that comfort in your own skin come from? Do you think, or do you just think it was intrinsic to you? Because I don't know. I did you spend a lot of time by yourself when you were a kid? Yeah, I think I did. Yeah, I think. Well, I, it's funny. I was thinking the other day, like, because we had a property. Mum and Dad were were teachers, obviously, but you know they didn't have heaps of coin with four kids, and their dad has always grown up on um, grape growing properties, uh-huh. and in where we were living and, and they thought, oh, well, um, my uncle was selling a property on the Darling River, which is out past Wentworth on the way to Broken Hill. So we had a property up there. That's where the tram was. Right. <laughs> We'd spend all our holidays on the tram on, on the Darling River, somewhere between Wentworth and Broken Hill. And <laughs> so that, that, that were our school holidays. That was great. But I remember like Mike brought out That my common <laughs> experience that everybody has, you know, when you holiday in a, in a tram by a river. You guys, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Oh, I know. Does, does it sound weird? You guys all went on tramcation, right? <laughs> does it sound weird? Because it was perfectly normal for us. Well, I guess whatever you do is perfectly normal. I mean, every Christmas we went to Lake's Entrance and, you know, and hired a, you know, weatherboard house for, you know, four weeks or whatever. So. I would have been slightly jealous of that as a kid. Oh, yeah. We, sure. we, we, our parents wouldn't have let us hang out with you tram gypsies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, we were. We were that family, weren't we? <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Today, uh, will there be parental supervision on the tram? <laughs> but that's the thing. My folks are so, you know, respectable and all yeah. of that. It just doesn't I fit. hear but, they live in a mud hut. <laughs> but, but the thing is, like, I think being the the end of the line at four kids, and I, was, uh, Mike, my partner, had a willow pattern plate, you know, those um, the Chinese willow pattern plates. Yep, sure. And I, re- and I said to him, oh, that's funny, because when I was a kid, I used to go and wander around the different – this sounds really, really, really sad – Oh. Wander around all the different because there was old rubbish sites on the lamp on the sheep station next to us, uh-huh. and I'd wander through the rubbish the sites on my own for an entire day. Like right. I'd just go for an entire day. That's what kids pick, did back in the and day. And pick up pieces of this willow pattern plate and try and piece it together and find it in the various rubbish right. dumps around. Oh god, that's how people raised children back in the day. <laughs> the seventies, the hippie parents <laughs> would be hanging out in their mud hut digging, while their bo- child digging for bottles and, and putting together <laughs> while their child rummaged through garbage <laughs> for a day. <laughs> for a day, day. Or I'll go- see you at sunset. See, try to piece something together, <laughs> young Indiana Jones, worst. <laughs> Now I say it out loud, it sounds so weird. It's kind of no, but that was making your own fun. And I, I, the reason I asked that is because I, I had a lot of time by myself as well. well I'm the eldest, but I grew up on a farm, and there's just Same a lot thing. of time by yourself. We you have to get used to being in your own company and, and stuff. There's a lot and of I, work you had to do, right, on your own as well. 
And I wonder if that has... And yes, you grow up watching that. I grew up watching my father work by himself, mm. you know. Like, you know, he would often take me with him or whatever, but, like, yeah. it was essentially him going out to do those things, you know, by himself. So I guess you get used to, you know, that... Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's the time that I think in this current life we don't actually get to spend with ourselves. It was something that was forced on them and I'm sure they didn't appreciate it a lot of the time because being in your own head can be hugely frustrating and frightening if you do too much of it. But I think now we don't ever spend any time in our own heads and kind of mulling over things or, or just being comfortable with our own presence. And Right, well, that's... You know, I, I imagine like that would be like if I went home because a lot of my friends are meditating and they say that it's very good for that. Yeah. And I think it was something that I would respond to and I would enjoy. I but if I went home and said to my dad, I'm going to meditate, <laughs> and he'd be like, what, are you, what is that? And I said, well, I'll just clean my head and so that I can think about like what I'm going to do for the rest of the day. And he'd be like, yeah, that's what I fucking do. Yeah. I meditate. Yeah. He wouldn't say fuck. But he goes, I think about what I'm going to do every day. Yeah. I think about my life and the farm because it's all interconnected and yeah. you have to be, you know, like. So yeah. I guess that's interesting. My dad would say exactly the same thing. He'd go, get out and do some work. Right. Get out and work on the property. Go and do some, go and pick some grapes. Go and yeah. shake some grapes. Shake, yeah, well, why, shake don't some you, why don't you go and fucking meditate the milk out of those cows? <laughs> <laughs> and then you can get back to me. Then yeah, you exactly. Then and you think, can Pilates I'm, a small cow out of another cow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. But it's, it's kind of true. Like there, there's a certain element in me that would love to do that as well because I think that calming of the mind would be really useful. But I come from that family where it just they it, and it's not even that I get, care what they think anymore but there's that little cynical bit in me that goes maybe you know it, you know maybe you should just try and find it without trying to find something else to help you get there right uh so Which sounds terrible because I actually think it would work really well for me yeah it's interesting though isn't it like that sometimes we I mean it's hard to know which one's which because I I think perhaps with like meditation, what I've tried to do is incorporate, you know, it more broadly across my day. Like, yeah. you know, like I'm going the last bit of cordial approach. I'm not going to have like, you know, one really good cordial. I'm just going to like, you know, stretch it out over the entire day and just be a bit more meditative, like in general. Mm. Right. I don't know if that works like that, that but I like re- is that. Is that really meditating though? Because I don't actually know what A lot it of it's is. smoking pot, but yeah. like... <laughs> But, you know, same family, same Venn diagram. See, I can't smoke pot. That's the problem. Yeah, so that's what you need to do. Yeah. You need to get into that. No, I see. That's, that sends me into a spiral of, like, just freaks me out. Okay, so you, you're a country kid. You must have – was there drugs and alcohol and stuff around? Like, Well, we grew up in Mildura, which is kind of – um, it was kind of the marijuana capital of Australia at the time. Is that, that right? Griffiths, yeah. Oh. So, um, but I never saw too much drugs. I just saw, because I worked in the local news agency. Um, oh. Uh, what did you do at the news agency? Sold tats lotto. Oh, yeah, and, nice. and Woman's Days. That was back in the days and where they porno- let And pornography. Well, when- that's what I was about to yeah. ask. So this is back in the days when the place that you could get pornography was the news well, agent, particularly in the country. Yeah. So how old are you working there? 14, I started. Four- yeah. Also, this is what I love about the olden days, is that they would let a 14-year-old handle Tats Lotto. These yeah. days, there'd be oh, all sorts of regulations 18, that you wouldn't yeah. be able to do that. But, but you, And also sell people porno. <laughs> <laughs> now, how do people buy porno in the country? Because... Uh-huh. 
Because is because doesn't everybody know each other? The thing that I would always think is there's no way to like buy it without the person like oh Gary's buying like big jugs or whatever, you know. <laughs> Well, yeah, I look, I think what happened, not a lot of local people bought porn, but what would happen is, say, if you were from Merbein, which is another uh-huh. town, you'd drive to Redcliffs uh, and get your porn. Yeah, right. And so all the no people from Redcliffs were at Merbein. Redcliffs are going off to Merbein or yeah, right. Cardross or somewhere yeah. else. That... And those two news agents are having a real laugh at their catch-up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, d- I didn't even think it, think twice of it because, I, you know, it felt, oh, it wasn't shocking or something that there would be porn, which is right. which is weird because it was just, I don't know. What did you know about sex at that stage? Had your parents taught you about it? It was the school oh, no, that they, you... they never taught me. Oh. The, 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 we, no words were spoken about that sort of stuff. Oh, really? Except when I was a kid, but that's my doing. I didn't want to know from oh, okay. them. okay. Yeah. You um, were like, I'll work it out. Yeah, back to... <laughs> <laughs> Back off, hippies. I'd probably... Get work... back in your tram. I'd probably worked it out by the time they... Right, by the time they thought it was time. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, my uncle had horses and I spent a lot of time with horses uh-huh. and, and cattle and... All that stuff. So, you know, I mean, sex was fairly, that was just a thing that happened right. all the time, you right. know, amongst animals. Yep. So it was all fairly open. You did your first year, couple of years, you were only doing it horsey stuff. Boom, tish, Will Anderson. It's my podcast. I can make whatever jokes I want. <laughs> it's a free show on the internet. <laughs> People can um, get their jollies however they like. Exactly. So um, tell me. So they don't teach you about it at all. Nah. Were they religious? No, no. Okay, no, so it not was at just all, not at all. No, yeah. no. I'm sure they probably wanted to, but I had right, no interest in them. Like... I didn't want them to teach me anything. So where do you find it out from them? Uh, I mean, apart from the farm, is there? Is it girlfriends or do people like? Is it? Is it taught at school? Like, what's the oh lay of the land at that stage? I've totally forgotten about this, but we had um, sex education. Because we had a science teacher who was, we had had to do a, like a module of sex education, but he decided because it was the time of, of AIDS that it was really important to teach everyone every single thing. So we did sex ed for an entire year and it was right. intense and good on him. I know? think they should though. Good on him. Like, and it was like considering how big a part of our life sex, you know, is, mm. like, I think that it's like weird that that would devote a couple of classes. <laughs> like you taught me fucking heaps of shit about chemistry that or geography. Yeah, I've got Google Maps. <laughs> I, like you wasted five years of my life, like teaching me about geography, which I'll never fucking need. But you, what two weeks on fucking sex ed? Let's yeah. do another year of these classes. Let's do more. Yeah, let's do. I think it's really important, and I think I was really lucky. But you know, we would well, particularly get... when you look at these days where like you know STDs and stuff are like absolutely going through the roof again mm. because people are poorly sexually. Educated. Yeah, yeah, they don't know, and it seems it seems odd that we've become so prudish again in times when we need to be less so in order to educate kids about they're going to do it. Like all this, I, I even see it with you know um, people of my generation now with their own kids. Oh no, we can't do that. They're, they're much, and yet they've done exactly everything wrong that they could have possibly done. And right. Sort of as they've aged, they kind they seem to think that their kids are magical and are not going to be. Um, Doing the exact same things as we all do. Sorry, Gary, but at some stage Cheryl's going to get fingered at Red Rooster. So, <laughs> oh god, it's true. It's true. It's right, true. but also that's. It's only us who've made that a terrible thing. Yeah, like we've, all... made it, we, we've made it terrible and it's not. It's, it's not. Right. Normal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's interesting. All right. So 
uh, then it's going to be you're going to be about 15, 16, 17 you start to have like careers counselling and stuff yeah. at school you start to have to think about what am I going to do when high school finishes so what were you thinking at that time? Well I decided I'd focus on music piano, okay. piano was my thing um, All right. and Playing? Uh, playing. Yeah, playing. okay. Um, so, like, so how long have you, been, have you been having lessons, I assume? Yeah, all my life. Yeah, much, okay. Since I was about seven. Okay, and, and, like, were you good at it? Like, how, how like, were I you... I think gr- I was all right. They do grades and all that sort yeah, of stuff, right? Yeah. Were you, like, highly graded? Yeah, I looked, yeah. like, I got up, I, I ended up doing first year music education teaching okay. Oh, yeah, okay. at uni, um, and I got, I was grade eight, past grade eight, so... Um, but it's funny coming from a musical family where you see others around you playing. Like my dad could never really read a note of music, particularly not the left hand. And, uh-huh. and my brothers play incredible guitar and drums. And when you see natural aptitude, it's an extraordinary thing. And I think I worked hard at it and thought that's what I wanted to do. But in actual fact, I don't have a lot of natural aptitude for it. And it took a year at uni to work out that. I wasn't up to scratch and I wasn't right. going to be some sort of concert pianist. I wasn't even a very good accompanist. Like I'd, I'd get too nervous and I just wasn't very good. And and that was – it was weird to work that out at such an early age and I'm so glad it happened. Oh, well, that's I'm the thing. I'm so, so glad it I mean, happened. sometimes people – I know when I uh, – because I studied journalism and I graduated and I was working as a journalist and I I'd got a couple of really good offers and I decided that I didn't want to do journalism. And a lot of people at the time was like, why would you why? chuck it in? Yeah. Why would you like, you've done all this work. And like now looking back, I'm like, why would I have chucked in any more years of my life doing something I didn't want to do yeah. when I could go off and do something that, you know, that would give me that satisfaction. But there's also that thought of you give up years of work. Why does that work not then contribute to the next lot, which right. it did? It's not, yeah, but for all, you in well, it did for me, but also for you. But it's not like it's like not that? like the day that you stop playing piano is like well, and now you're never allowed to play the piano again. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And you now, and now we're going to give you that device from uh, Men in Black, and you are going to forget everything about the piano because you've turned your back on the piano. Yeah. No, I agree with you. I mean, of course. Everything feeds into... And sometimes the minute you say, I'm not going to be a concert pianist or whatever, you can go back to just enjoying playing the piano in a way that you can't when you're pursuing this this other thing. Exactly. And, yeah, I think it's really dangerous to say, oh, if you give it up, you've lost it or... No, no, not at all, not at all. And I feel I feel really thankful that I got out after first year. I passed just, but I think I, in hindsight, I think I got in on the regional quota. Uh-huh. Because they, <laughs> <laughs> they do that at universities. Because we had to audition to get in. There was right. no, there was no. It wasn't just on yeah. scores and things. We had to audition. And and, and looking back, I go, oh, I got yeah. I'm totally regional quota. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Which, which is fine, however you get in. Yeah, that's but, right. Like, you know, and then you I went know, on. Some people have got, you know, to the finals of Top Chef through Last Chance Kitchen. You know, it's still, <laughs> you can still win it, right? Uh, well, that's really interesting. How did you deal with it at that age of your life where I guess you're 9 to 18, 19, mm. 20, something like that, right? 18, yeah. Yeah, 18. Uh, when you have been going towards something. And then, you know, like we were saying about year 12, where everyone suddenly builds up the importance of, you know, it's the most important year of your life, which it is not in any way. Um, It's important and it can give you more options, but it, you know, your life goes on and you'll forget about it, you know, for good or for ill, you'll forget about it. The 20 years of my career, no one has ever yelled out, how'd you go on your HSA? (laughs) Before I laugh at this joke. You know, how, but did, how did you go? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I went, I went well. I went well. Yeah. I probably, I, I wish in retrospect that I um, had been able to talk to me about that idea of because I found school easy. I've always, 
had a reasonable capacity to understand ideas and like a lot of school is comprehension. You know, it's not actual, you know, I'm not saying that I'm like super smart, but my whatever it is that I do well is I can hear something and my brain immediately kind of comprehends it and can comprehend mm. an angle or an argument. That's where, you know, that's yeah. the thing that my humor comes from. Okay. You know, my improvising, right? You know, is is it certainly in that area? And so I guess, anyway, I mean, I guess that was what I was trying to say. Yeah. I'm just, that, that whole, you're lucky you have that, that whole ability to be able to work out an right. argument and come what, out with yeah. a, with another viewpoint. Sorry, what I was trying to say was that that's, that help, is helpful at school. Yes. Because at school, a lot of school is, you know, you have to read a book and then you have to construct an essay yes, yes. about it. that stuff that I found really easy. Yeah. And so I didn't try hard enough because yeah. I was just, but I still got really it's good right. marks. It doesn't matter in the end. No, well, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But but I kind of do wish in retrospect there was like, you know, I studied French at school and today I can't speak a word of French and I Same. would love to be able to speak French. Same. Like it's like one of those things that I would probably take three months off what I do now to go and learn to speak French properly. Yet for years they would make, like I was able to do it for free. Yeah. Like I had classes and I was like, <laughs> la, 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 you know. I know, I know. <laughs> We see all these things in hindsight and there are people in power now who see these things and know these things right. and yet they're quite happy to leave the education system as it is and and sort of siphon and funnel kids down one track and not encourage them to to learn more and, you know, make it hard to access university education. So why aren't we doing something about this? This is what – when I often think about this, I think, what am I doing I mean, okay, well, that's an interesting question. Because so, to me, education is probably the, one of the most important things, isn't it? Of all the topics that we've talked about on this podcast, it's the one that comes up every episode. Mm. Everybody's story has something to do with education. And well, it, that's, it seems that's how we're formed. It should be the starting point of every bit of our discussion, but also for the evolution of our humanity. Mm. You know, the more smart people we have, the more that, you know, say the planet is warming and pl- we're going towards disastrous things, the more smart people we have, the more chance that somebody's going to work out a way for us to deal with the you know problems and issues that are going to arise. The more that people are killing each other and fighting each other, the more smart people are, the more educated people are, the more understanding and tolerance and empathetic people will be it's the problem is that privilege likes to protect privilege the very nature of the system of privilege is like we want to keep what we have and so what happens is in the education system in particular that the best education is funneled into this very expensive private education Mm -hmm. that only people who are already in that demographic can afford and then the public system gets run down Mm -hmm. and so people at the very starting point of life where we should all be equal we should also have access to equal high quality education Absolutely. it gets divided into haves and haves nots you know so even with the new university changes that they're trying to do you know they're going to lump these people with these you know lifelong debts yeah it's in the best interest of us all for people to be better educated but i'm not saying people shouldn't have to pay it back i paid mine back and I i'm very happy for people to pay them back took but, me forever to pay mine right back. <laughs> but that, that that shouldn't matter like it Put it at a level where people can pay it back at a reasonable yeah. level and people will pay it back. Yeah. But, look, I, 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 I'm still of the school that education should be free. Well, yeah, even I mean, that would tertiary, be brilliant. Yeah. Even at a tertiary level. It'd be good if we could come up with a way to pay for it. That yeah. would be. But yeah. I guess we could also argue that it, that it pays for itself in, you know. Absolutely. And I think... If we really genuinely made ourselves the clever country, like if we were genuine about that, if we 
paid teachers and uh, it, 10 times what we pay them now, we made it the most glamorous, you know, th- yeah. thing like to be a teacher. We decided as a society we are going to honour the teacher as mm. the most respected. We'll make a teacher Australian of the year. We'll like, you know, set an example. It'll be the year of the teacher. But also at university, what we're going to do is like we're going to have this year where we're going to raise all the salaries but we're also going to encourage like the best of the people to come go into teaching, to revolutionise I, I bet that down the track that would pay itself off. Absolutely, a, th- a hundred, a thousand, a million fold. So, you know. So what? Why? Why is their vested interest to keep people dumb? Well, because the people who are in charge aren't that fucking smart. Yeah. So that therefore they can kind of more easily control the masses, right? As, as church once did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The less we know, well, the problem is if we're not like smart, that. we believe them when they say things like the reason you don't have what you should have is your fair share of society is because this person's coming on a boat to take it or that homeless person over there is or that kid who can't get a job. That's mm. the reason. Mm. And so you don't look at their, you know, you know, bosses and, you know, corporate influences and the donors to their political parties and the people yeah. who are running the media and going, hang on, but what about maybe if Rupert Murdoch paid his taxes or what if like, what if our government got Google, this thing that we all use all the time to pay the right share of their taxes or Apple that we all, I'm like, I mean, most people are probably listening to this on an Apple product. I buy Apple stuff all the time in this country. Like things on iTunes cost more in Australia than they cost overseas yes. and they don't pay enough of their fucking tax here. Well, they don't pay any tax here do they They have their head office in ireland where they pay a minimal amount but not what they should be paying in this country and if we just got them to pay their tax and stop pointing at people who are even less fortunate yeah but the smarter we are the more we understand that so people don't want the masses Mm. to be smart Mm. well what are we doing about it will that's where that's where i'm that's where i'm at right now i started this podcast (laughs) (laughs) that's what i'm doing about it um all right, we've had a we've had a drink break. We we've, you've got a wine now. I've had a, you I've said had you'd get one halfway through. Halfway through, I was a so. bit nervous. I was no, that's good. That's all right. That's I'm good. Not used to being on this side. Oh yeah, yeah. Not not that you're interrogating me at all, but I no. kind of wasn't sure. That's interesting. Well, let's uh, let's fast forward a bit. Well, I want to get back to when you know you, you had that change in direction. But let's while we're talking about this, let's talk about it now. Um, interviewing, you've interviewed a lot of people over the years. Do you have an approach to interviewing? Do you have a philosophy to interviewing? I wish I did, but I, I look. I don't think there's a there's a a right way and a wrong way of connecting with people, or or you a way. Clearly, that haven't read the Twitter responses to this podcast because <laughs> <laughs> there are plenty of people out there who think there is a right way and think this no, is not the right that's way. That's the thing. Every person comes in and they're different and they bring a different sort of energy with them, and you have to adapt to that and in order to get the best out of them. But also, too, given the medium. You know, a lot of people don't like doing interviews because it's it's just quick, quick, quick. They don't actually get to say what they want, or uh-huh. or they get to say what they want and not much else, or they don't really want to talk about those things. They have to do it because it's a publicity schedule. Um, yeah, it's a tough one. I, I think you've got to read every situation differently. Who have you been impressed by that you've interviewed over the years? Is there someone that stands out as like, I was so, you know, I just feel that it was great that I got to have that chat with that person? It's always the ones that you never had that much of an interest in that uh-huh. end up being the ones that show themselves to be more fascinating. Right. Because you, A, probably not that aware of their story and B, they've maybe, they've, they've traversed that area where, you know, they weren't considered the greatest. Uh-huh. And so they've had to battle right. a little bit more than perhaps someone who's just come in at a kind of 
a, a credible level and then got cooler and cooler. You yeah, know? yeah. It's a, bit, it's a bit hard to say to those people. So uh, what's your favourite caviar? <laughs> Who, who out of the Victoria's Secret model parade have you not had sex with? Yes, yes. <laughs> and how are hotels these days? Because <laughs> yeah, that's really, they live, in right. a, they live in a bubble, a lot yeah. of these people, and it's very hard to get, I like to get kind of at least something that makes me feel like I've had a vague connection. Not that I want a connection with anyone, because you can't expect that either. It's, no. That's just, okay, so that's you're kidding inter- yourself. That's interesting, you're because I think yourself. some people do want that. Like I've been on both sides of that where like I've seen people want to have a connection with somebody after the, you know, the radio bit of it's finished, which always feels oh. a bit awkward. Yeah, but no, also I've been on the other side of it where... They don't want to go out with you afterwards. Right. No. <laughs> never. Never, ever, ever. It doesn't happen. doesn't work like that. Regardless of what the, you know... The, the... I know Dave Grohl seemed like an awesome bloke when we were on air a minute ago, but you know what? I'm pretty sure Dave Grohl's already got guys to hang out with. <laughs> and Dave Grohl's, <laughs> Dave Grohl's forgotten your name the minute he walks out of the studio. Like to have those assumptions that someone might be interested in you is just, you know, you can't. Okay, so who was it that impressed you then? Do you have right, some that come year, to mind? This year, just recently, yep. um, and do you remember Gary Newman? Oh, yeah, of course. He's quite a big Gary. Yeah, she's a big Gary Newman. The film. 80s. Yeah. He was at the, sort of at the forefront of more commercial electronic music back yeah. in the late 70s, early 80s. Very okay. influential, though. A lot Very of people these days would, like, you know, cite Gary Newman as an influence. Absolutely. But Gary's had a horrible time since then, you know, and... And he talked to me about that. Do you think Gary Newman's ever met Gary Oldman? (laughs) (laughs) Do you think Gary Gary Beers got in on that conversation? (laughs) That'd just be a great sketch. Gary, that'd be my... This is Gary, Gary, this is Gary, Gary. That'd be basically my uh, Letterman, you know, when he went to the, uh, the, he hosted the Oscars and he did Oprah, Uma, that'd be me. I'd like, I'd go to some big music awards, I'd be Gary Newman, Gary Oldman, Gary, Gary Beers. So good. So the dream team right there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. So um, uh, so Gary Newman was – what's been happening to him? Well, basically he – and he told me all of this and I don't think he gets to tell his story very often right. either. Not, not a lot of people are that interested in Gary Newman other than for a couple of songs from the late 70s and early 80s. Right. And um, he was just so lovely. Um, he seemed to be accepted. He'd accepted what had happened. Like, he's come back and he's got a new album and it's sort of this industrial stuff that's not necessarily my bag. But he's found something that means a lot to him and he's been able to make sense of all the early electronic stuff and sees that this is this is the true path for him. But he basically lost all his money because he spent it all on... Right, because he's like, well, this is just going to last forever. Yeah, he was like... I'm the biggest years. thing in the world. He's there is no way that this will ever go wrong. Yeah, and he said, oh, I bought three planes. I, uh, you know... You're right, because you need three planes. You need three planes, but he would have been... As long nice. as there's three of you. Yeah. <laughs> Like, why do you need three planes? Surely one is the amount of planes unless you're starting an airline. Yeah, yeah, true, true. Maybe he was. Maybe he's a young Richard Branson right. at heart. But, no, he just seemed to have – and then he really could And then he had to his... sell out because he, like, he did, here in my plane. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he could do private tours. He could, Actually, that's yeah. not bad. Oh. I'd pay for that. So, um, so yeah, so he, he went broke. Then he went what, broke. what happened? Then, what, then just, what was he doing? He just kind of couldn't find anything and then he released an album that he admitted himself was just horrible yeah. in the early 90s and was completely lost. And I think with that kind of curvature of a career has given him such a – such a lovely sense of self that it was one of the most endearing interviews I've ever done. He just seemed quite at one with himself. He didn't have anything to prove. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't angry about being there or annoyed. He knew he had to do that, do it for publicity reasons. And I was just so impressed by that just general charm and, and 
Yeah, that that sort of thing you don't get very often. Okay, in, I'm in pretty happy with that. Couple, uh, That's a good pull. Of of I like that. I like Gary Newman, and I'm I like him even more having heard that story. Because <laughs> oh, I never that, had an opinion on him before. Because the thing that we also forget about Gary Newman or anyone like that is that Gary Newman didn't start out wanting to be the biggest star in the world. Probably Gary Newman probably started out as an artist who liked dance music. Yeah, right. No, he didn't. It was all a mistake. And oh, that's what hang else on. He told me. All right. So what? So hang he on. had no idea all right, about all of this. The reason why he did that whole makeup severe face thing, not smiling. Yeah. is because he didn't like his teeth. So he kept his face all straight and someone said, pop a bit of makeup on to cover up his bad skin. And then, and all these little stories, I'm just going, oh, Gary. Wow. Gary. Gary. <laughs> <laughs> and then the whole electronic thing, that was someone else that came in and said, how about we do it like this? And oh. he just had no idea that that was going to happen. None of it. He had no idea about any of it. He didn't right. even realise what he was doing with it. <laughs> 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 and I kind of oh, like that. It's like, oh, you know, I didn't... Oh, I just had the E there and the equals, <laughs> and the MC was actually a completely unrelated thing, and that's not actually squared. I just wrote a, a doodle there. But isn't that creativity? Like, it, like it, it is not right. tangible. It <laughs> is not definable. It is not. You are not able to distill it into, you know, all these self help books on how to succeed or how to how to vision your future, how to make it all work. It doesn't it doesn't work like and, that. And you can't necessarily reproduce it. No. Like you know that moment might be so. Okay, that's a really good one. They try with the like the reality shows to to get that, but you can see the minute the shows are over, generally the interest drops off because, you know, there's that there's not that element that whatever whatever the hell it is, and I don't know if you do work it out, they're they're going to be a billionaire, but whatever that is that makes it magical. It's not something you can make happen. Okay, so uh, other end of the spectrum. You don't have to name names because I know you're a nice person, but is there somebody who was just... <laughs> who told you I was nice? <laughs> well, I'm, I'd prefer if you name names. I'm just saying you don't have to. But is there somebody who was just a terrible... No, they don't have to have been intentionally mean-spirited or no, something. No, no, Sometimes no. people can be... Like, for example, I couldn't be a bigger fan of Radiohead, mm. but one day Adam and I did an interview with... Oh, and I can't even remember who it was from Radiohead, but it was one of the guys from Radiohead. Yeah. He was in Japan in a hotel room. The couldn't, line was terrible, and it could not have been yeah. a fucking more terrible, horrible interview. Like he, all he wants is sushi, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He doesn't want any. Buy been some white... undies out of a vending machine, right? <laughs> He doesn't want to talk to you in Australia, right? And exactly. I get that. Yeah, and I understand that as well. So, um, have you had one of those? Is there one that you know? Um. Not too many, but I can't think of any offhand. But like, there's a lot of people that are kind of great when they're on air, and then or and not so good when they're off, or the other way around with the particularly credible artists, really right. great off air, and then the minute you get them on, give you nothing because <laughs> it's not in their interests right. to actually enjoy this. And and I'll say it was like Chris Bailey from The Saints was magnificent right. off camera on Spicks and Specs, which is a TV show that I did um, a few years back and it was a music quiz show and we got lots of music legends on and he was absolutely magnificent, charming as all get out right. off camera. And then as soon as the cameras came on, nothing. <laughs> and I... I loved it. I loved it. It was like, this is your... That's sh- fucking rock and roll. This is your shtick. You've been doing this forever. You can't afford not to anymore. And, you know, right. it, it would have seemed wrong and odd if he was just that lovely, jovial person that I'd had next to me five minutes ago. So, you know, he did his shtick. And, may- look, maybe it is a shtick. Maybe he feels like he has to do that. Right. I'm not sure. But you'd be disappointed if you ran into Nick Cave, for example, at a cafe yeah. and he was running you through his favourite emojis. <laughs> 
You like? <laughs> See, no, this is the thing. I interviewed Nick just okay, a couple of go. couple of months ago for the movie. Yeah, for the movie, which I really loved, and I, I must admit, I my interest in Nick has dwindled over the years. And I saw the start of the tour for the new album in London, and I felt like, and he was obviously nervous, and I felt like oh, I see Nick again for the first time. I haven't seen that person, I haven't seen that real person before. I felt like I could sort of see it, and I interviewed him for the movie, and he was actually great. And the thing is, I feel like. He's like a shepherdin boy in Victoria, or Warwick Nabil, in fact. He's just a little river boy, kind of like a lot of us. And he ran away from something a long time ago. And that, and he openly admits that his creativity, most of what he writes is based on that childhood experience that he had. Like all those songs are really about what happened at very formative years. And I think he's secretly just dying to be back to that kid. Right. <laughs> <laughs> He's been hiding it for so yeah. long. It's going to come out. It's so going to come out. It that's will. interesting. It to will, me. and that's when he will be a one like a true. He, his true like musical creativity will actually come out. I think when he finally re- reconciles himself with that little river kid. I mean, it's a really interesting idea. It's a really interesting thing that you say because I am much more into the idea of Nick Cave than I probably am into a lot of the things that he does. Mm. Like, I love him as an artist. Yeah. Like, yeah. I I do too. I, I do have too. as much admiration for him as I have for anybody. Mm. Like, the way he went and did it and how he was outside the I system here and the amazing things that he's written and, you know, the bands that he's been in. And, I, and look, some of the performances that I've seen them do have been some of my favourite ever live performances. Incredible. And some of the shit I find incomprehensible and unlistenable and like some of it like his writing I find like uh, yeah overwritten and pretend but whatever I just love that he does all that fucking stuff and And has no shame about it no shame at all like he's very very productive but I must say I had had not ever really thought about like what you've just told me. I always still think of Nick Cave, you know, coming out of like and like just falling out of an artist's vagina in Berlin at some stage. Do you know what I mean? Like already drinking a wine and fucking just like Who was it that I spoke spoke to the other day? And this this gave me so much joy hearing this story. And I can't remember who told me, which is terrible. The memory goes as you get older, as you've noticed. But said uh um, he was telling me about how Nick Cave got sunburnt at a bus stop in Elstonwick. <laughs> and that makes me so happy because right. he fell asleep at the bus stop waiting for a bus and got a bit of sunburn recently while he was out here. And I can't remember who told me that story, but stuff like that gives me glee. Nick Cave in casual clothes gives me glee because it makes me feel like I feel really uncomfortable with it. I, <laughs> I love nothing more than seeing somebody who dresses up all the time yep. in casual clothes. Oh, it's like c- catching Batman going to the gym. <laughs> like it's... <laughs> It's so true, but I, I love, it. love it. But I also love nothing more than somebody who wears a costume all the time in public. Mm. There's a comedian from the 80s called Ostentatious. Do you remember Ostentatious Australiana? And he lives around this area and oh. he has this look, which is this like black leather jacket and this black oh. t shirt and like and his slicked back hair and like these dark sunglasses, right? And he wears it to like Coles. <laughs> <laughs> I see him in Coles and never, I'm like, never you can't be guard. that angry about hummus. <laughs> Like, <laughs> do you think he he doesn't buy toilet rolls because of that? He'll send someone out for the loo rolls. Yeah, because but Cause you just can't you see. You can't carry that outfit off holding a six no. pack. Yeah, six that's pack right. And some cat food, <laughs> some toilet water. paper, <laughs> half a watermelon. Oh, that's so funny! And it's a couple so- of link cuisines. <laughs> <laughs> do, do you judge people by their by their shopping? 
I don't judge on toilet paper. Amy judges on toilet paper. Amy doesn't like us to buy too much toilet paper at the one time because she thinks that people think we shit too much. You've got problems. Yeah. I'm with her on that. Uh, I don't know. I don't really judge, but I like to have a look. Yeah. I like to see what other people... Okay, the one time I will probably (laughs) judge is when you're behind somebody at the... Like, you know, if it's Amy and I and we're shopping and we're like, we're waiting for the, like the other person's groceries to go through and they have an unusual kind of collection of groceries, then a bit of judging starts to go on, a bit of patching together their life. Sometimes really sentimentally, like Amy's teared up a few times because like you see some old guy, like some old, like, you know, clearly like 80 year old guy shopping by himself and he's buying like, you know, cat food and these like frozen dinners and whatever for one. And then, yeah, you're like, oh my God, this is like a... Nick Cave song. I'll have dinner with him. Right, yeah. But he's probably fine by himself. Yeah, no, he's probably quite funny. He's like, yeah. We'd probably be highly annoyed. Because I was just at the movies by myself and I wish you were my newspaper, so fuck off. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to sit here with my cat and eat my fish and chips. (laughs) (laughs) My cat's nice. You can can piss off. Uh, Okay, so let's go backwards then. Let's go back to you, you do a year of music. And then you go, well, this isn't for me. That's got to be a big time, yes? Were you like, no? No, I don't remember it being a big time. Right. And I think, the, you know, the folks who were probably paying for quite a bit of my uni, like, accommodation and stuff at the time, they didn't seem to – look, they, were, they, were, they weren't upset. They, they weren't happy about it that, right. I, that I'd drop out and cross over and do, like, an arts degree because, you know, you know what we all thought of arts degrees. Right. They were like, you know, they that well, they thought – oh, you're just getting a, a bugger all. That's what right. it is, isn't it? Yeah, Bachelor of Attendance, as Dave O'Neill would say. Exactly, exactly. So, um, yeah, no, I don't remember it being – I was just ready. I, I was ready to move on. I knew it was wrong and I still loved it, but I was ready yeah. to move on. But I've always been a bit like that. As soon as I get a new idea in my head, I don't worry too much about what's gone before because I'm not, I'm not much for nostalgia or thinking how it could be or how it should be or – what could have happened, I find that deeply unhelpful. So you just move on, get excited about the next one. But then some okay. might say I'm flighty. No, no, no. <laughs> well, no, but I think that's a philosophy in and of itself because the thing that I would say about that, and it's something that I've been endeavouring to do more myself, which is live in the moment, but also recognise that it's it's stupid to get worried about anything that's happened before for two reasons. The first one is the obvious one to everyone, which is that you know it's already happened and you can't do anything about it. Right, that's the obvious thing that everyone always says in that situation. But the second thing is, everything has happened before. Every single thing in your life that has happened, happened before. Mm. If you're going to worry about things that happened before, that opens up the fucking, to everything. Yes. Everything that's happened made you who you are right now. This is all you have. Mm. So, I mean, I think it's actually a very, I mean, I, to me, I think that's a very interesting way to live your life it's a very adaptive way it's a very modern way like you said it's not that old time society where you get the same job and you are that person you're defined by this is a modern world where your capacity to change from one thing to the other and adapt to new technologies and adapt to new circumstances is actually going to be a skill in and of itself yes you have to and i think look sometimes it's bad because it means you probably never settle right which is something i'm very bad at Uh i'm a a why is that do you think because Sometimes if you moved around a lot as a kid, like the thing that the people want to do is settle down. Yeah, no. But not you. No, no. I don't know. I'm scared of settling down or it just doesn't sit well with me or something. I, 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 I yeah, haven't found the right mud tram. Haven't found the right mud tram. Exactly. Yeah. Maybe when I find That's a mud tram, <laughs> I'm going to be happy. Home you know, sweet our, home. Our formative, 
our formative years do shape us yeah. very much so, and it's often the weirder stuff that shapes right. you. Right, it's like I don't know why, and even, this is what I need. And your parents sort of want you to grow up being normal because right. that makes them happy and happy and they don't they can go to sleep at night. But in actual fact, it's all the weird gear that they did that made you kind of the person that you are yes. in a way. Very much so. Yeah. Okay, so you do an arts degree. What happens next? Did an arts degree, stayed at uni for way too long, just got jobs at pubs. I used to do like a 7pm to 7am shift at the public bar in an esteemed establishment in Melbourne. And uh, so I went through and uni. Music? And then I Are you going that. to see gigs and stuff? Oh, yeah, I went and saw lots of gigs. Um, and then I sort of started writing for local street press, which is Yeah, so explain to people days. who do, like, might not know what the Australian version of, because a lot of overseas people listen yeah. to this as well, what does street press mean in Australia? Street press was, well, pre-internet. It was a weekly magazine that would come out and have all the gigs listed, do all the interviews, uh, reviews, that kind of thing, let you know what was going on around town um, that week. Basically, and I and it kind of had a hip vibe to it as yeah. well, though, right? It was more like not just here's the stuff going on, but here's the kind of like coolly hipper yeah. underground sort of, you yeah. know, yeah, it, it, yeah. And so that's what I started to do. I wrote for for one of the papers, and then ended up getting a job there as a music editor. So that music background that I'd left still had a some sort of interplay in my current situation and and then kind of gradually just moved up and up and ended up editing the newspaper and yeah so but what I was, was that I was still like in, I was still no. in uni as well right because so. i knew you that's about the time when i met you like yeah. around that time and uh which is very interesting to me there's a lot of people i always think about those days like you know, we're all just young kids like Having hanging out around at parties in like you know the inner suburbs of melbourne <laughs> and like but so many of those faces are people who you know, because at the time we are all like, well, I'm going to be a comedian and I'm going to like, blah, 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 blah. you, did. But yeah, you but did. lots of people did from those parties, yeah. which was always fun. I so I always, what I think of is when we had, we think about our small circle and that so many people branched off and did really quite amazing things. I think about all the other groups that are happening right now underneath us and, you know, that sort of similar. I hope they have that similar sense of community and that similar sense of support and that similar sense of adventure. And I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if, if that exists in the same way that we did I'm, I, I don't know because I'm not I'm not a young person it's anymore. hard to tell isn't it you never know what it's like to be in different mm. eras one of the but things I hope that's the one thing I want for them one of the things that I always say that I'm very grateful uh, for that I came through in comedy in my industry at the exact time where it turned into a job but before it was a job yeah. so like what I mean by that was I've always had the capacity, it, you know, people had had jobs, you know, around comedy and earned a living and stuff before me, but it wasn't, no one went into comedy thinking you could, you know, have a job. It wasn't a career. It was still running away yeah. to join the circus. Yeah. And in the time that I've been doing it, it's turned into a job. So that was perfect timing. Yep. Now it's not like running away to join the circus as much, you know, and it, a lot of those things are a bit more like people go into them with a career in mind or I'll start doing this thing. So, Do you think that's helpful for comedy though? Do you think if people go into it thinking that this is an, an a way to, I don't know, um, make more money or to be more popular or more successful, by, do you think that helps comedy or hinders comedy? I think it's a broad church. I think comedy is much like music in that like it doesn't, it doesn't hurt – 
fucking arcade fire if Taylor Swift sells like mm. a million albums. Mm. It doesn't hurt. And she's a career singer. Like she has been right. she's been doing it since day dot, you know, and she's very focused on exactly what she wants and she knows. Right. And I envy that. I think, my God. And she's she, talented and she's like she's done really, amazing. you know, really yeah. well for herself and all those sort of things. Right. Her think, own songs. I think these industries are broad enough that all things can okay. exist. Okay. And I often find that in times of great commercialism, that's when the greatest, you know, underground and indie art arrives. So Things just tend to go in waves, yeah. you know. There's a period of times where, you know, <clears throat> it's like uh, politically. The greatest political comedy always arises in times of, like, you know, fascist-style governments. Mm. The more offensive and oppressive the government is, the better, like, you know, a comedy, because comedy works is kicking up, yes. the better comedy that comes out of it. So I think often, you know, when it comes to industries, that it, like, I... I am very much of the broad church. I love as much, you know, that back room of people saying like the horrible jokes that only the people in that room will ever hear <laughs> or enjoy through to, you know, the big commercial end of, you know, people, you know, the De- Jeff Dunham, the puppet guy, mm. you know, if people like that yeah. and it takes them out to live comedy, then they might find better stuff. You know, I'm, I'm not talking about that necessarily. <laughs> what I was talking about is more people that start with the intention of being a stand-up comedian careerist. Is I think that, what what effect does that have? Do you well, think, or has that had on the scene? Uh, I think I think probably it has a good effect on the scene in that it probably leads to a bunch of more rooms opening and stuff. Great, like because if the room's just full of artists. Then, like, you know, proper artists, you know, people throwing shit at the wall, fucking artists. Yeah. Then no one's organised enough to run a room. Yeah. Like, you need <laughs> you need someone with a little bit of ambition and a little bit of planning to actually get those things, you know, organised and yep. done. Yeah. So I think you need a bit of that. Yep. Um, I, the thing that I would say is that, and it's it's easy for me to say this, but I would say don't skip by the years where you're bumming around being an artist. Mm. Like, don't want to be successful and in a job and progress so quickly that you will miss, you will miss the best bit about it. And the, the best, best bit, bit about is it is when you start when you're doing nothing. nothing. It's and, the best. But that's what we've got to get back to as right. adults, as creative adults. I think we really, it's, it's really important to get back to that bit and go, who am I, who is this person outside of what I do? And, how people see me in order to make what you want to make. Right. I think. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's an interesting thing to say, though. And we're because not good at it. We're not very good at going back to just kind of doing well, I think not we, much. I think we spend a lot of our life, too, um, doing things because other people have told us that's what you do. Mm. You know, I've been confronting this a lot in my career recently with, like, you know, I took the year off the television. I've stepped away from a whole bunch of, like, things that people think that I should do, yeah. that you're meant to do. Mm. Like, I'm meant to do a, you know, a million-dollar commercial radio job. I'm not meant to be doing a fucking free podcast in a room out the back of my house surrounded by a dollhouse and fucking a stack of towels. But how much money you have do- having doing it? Right. And I am. At least I hope it's money. No, 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 but I am. <laughs> Like, you know, and of course I am. Yeah. And I got to a point where I was reminding myself of that and what made me creative and what made me happy and what yeah. didn't. But I, I think that we don't value that enough. We don't mm. say to people, you didn't get into comedy to fucking sell ads on commercial radio. Yeah. You got into comedy because at some stage there's part of you that is an artist that had something that they wanted to communicate with yep. people. What was that again? Because mm. I'm pretty sure that it wasn't that there's a special on sausages at Woolworths. <laughs> well, that's it. That's the key, isn't it, in the end, to some sort of happiness, at least in terms of what we do, is to be in touch with whoever that person is 
outside of all the stuff that we face every day and all the pressures, outside pressures, is to actually stay in touch with that whoever that person was that you started with and how, pushed you in how that direction, however in, unconscious it was. How do you keep in touch with that? I don't know if I do and I don't know if I do very well. I try to, but I, I find it's a bit lost at the moment, to be honest. Okay, I think that's it's very hard as an, as an adult to keep in touch with that. Okay, so oh, what... That is kind of, I kind of think that might be my philosophy, keep in touch with it, although I'm not very good at it. Right, but that's good. That's okay. You don't have to be good at your philosophy. Because <laughs> <laughs> whatever, that, whatever that thing that you had right. that people like about you or enjoy, you know, communing with you, it, that's intangible, but it comes from a place that's removed from the pressures of our work environment. How does it change uh, when people start to know who you are and suddenly other people have an opinion or a perspective mm. on you that isn't necessarily, you know, who you think you are. Which is, by the way, an experience that everybody yeah. has who suddenly gets into the public eye or the public yeah. public consciousness, right? It's really weird. It's really weird to think that someone's already formed an opinion of you according to how you look or how you sound. And I got that at first when I started in radio. You know, people hated my laugh or you know, just couldn't handle hearing my voice on the radio because just because they hadn't heard it before. Right. Give them six months and it's all fine. Once you settle in, people like routine and they like regularity in their lives. And once you're there for a bit, they kind of start right. putting They're up like, with you. They're like, we don't like different. You're different. Yeah. And then after a while you're like, oh, you're, you're not different. Right. Yeah. And then they hate the new one. Yeah. It's like, we hate you yeah. because you're different. <laughs> so true. We're all like that. Okay. We are all like that. We, you know, as human beings, we don't like yeah. change. I get that. Yeah. Even though the one defining feature of our evolution as a species is change. change. Yes. So it's it's push me, pull me from day one, isn't it? So you, is Triple J the first time? You start doing the radio on Triple J. That's got to be the first time where people – I mean, people knew you from like the, the indie music scene and stuff, mm. from the street mags and all that sort of stuff. But that's within the community yeah. of people who already know that. That's that's like when you first start in comedy and all the comedians or people in the industry might know you, but the minute you're on TV or radio or whatever, mm. suddenly this general public just know you from this. So is Triple J the first time? That was kind of the first yeah. experience with it, but it was lucky. It was pre-text line. It was pre-all oh of that. They Do you think about that? A little bit because you, you know that people would say you, you'd get calls complaining or if you made something uh, an inappropriate comment you'd get called and they'd tell you so um i think we would have been adam and i would have been on the air for four weeks not five years if, yes if like i mean this well, it's the same wow. it's the same as our tv show like when we did um we started the quiz show speaks and specs um it it we had no there was no such thing as twitter or facebook right and we were terrible. We were terrible. And we're all, all three of us will say we were pretty right. ordinary. But we had a, enough time to work out what it was we were doing or at least give it a go. And there was not a lot of criticism. Well, there was from obviously ABC management yeah. and that sort of thing saying, oh, you need more questions for the oldies and that kind of thing. But once that had died down, we just got to do whatever, well, what, whatever we could. And I don't think we'd survive now. We'd get howled down in one show. Everything's terrible when it starts. Everything. The first episode of Seinfeld isn't yeah. that great. It's but it's like expecting. Watch the first couple of years of The Simpsons. They're fucking <laughs> They're barely weird. watchable, right? I agree. Like I... Homer's voice is all wrong. Speaking of voices, you don't like. <laughs> <laughs> like 
I mean, most things start terrible. The f- Parks and Rec is one of the funniest shows on TV. Mm. The first series of that is terrible. Yes. Like, this idea that things have to be awesome when they started. Well, and the way that when they rebooted Spicks and Specs, and th- th- they, they didn't get the same amount of time. I mean, it's a classic yeah, they didn't example. Get what, they didn't get what we had. No. I felt sorry for them. That's just not Give them fair. a year. You, yeah, give them a year to, like, iron out the creases, get used to each other. Which they, And they had pretty good chemistry anyway, you know, but it's still tough. Right. It's still really tough. Okay, so, so that, okay, what, what are we doing to ourselves then if we as viewers, as passive mm-hmm. members of the community, when we sort of howl things down so quickly, what what are we getting out of that? Is it is it an empowerment thing if something gets cut down because we all thought it was shit? Like say if a show gets cancelled within its first show because it was terrible or are we, by being passive but aggressive, hindering creativity in a broader sense? Oh, but, 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 the second one we're definitely doing we're hindering creativity there's no doubt in my Mm. like I mean they were so lucky that Josh Thomas's show was on ABC2 because if they put that on ABC1 like they originally did well let's assume it may have gone on ABC1 and rated a million people a night but it's not rating even that well on ABC2 right It, and yet it's globally it's, considered right. an incredible So if, if they put on that on a Wednesday night, on ABC Comedy Night, and it did, say it's doing 250000 or whatever it does on like ABC2, say it did double that, or even like, you know, say it did 600000 on the first Wednesday night, by the second Wednesday night, that'd be 450000 and by the third week, there'd be articles all over the paper about how they should cancel that show, and then they would probably not play the rest of the episodes, and it would be known as a failure, yeah. and it's been nominated for an international Emmy. He's this face of pivot in the US. Entertainment Weekly called it one of their top 10 shows of yep. 2014. It's clearly a brilliant show. It's a wonderfully made show. And but this modern day gladiator sort yeah. of like yeah we like to see the blood so we're definitely doing ourselves a disservice because we're not yeah. letting things grow. But the second thing that I would say about that is that we, I think that it's part of this broader thing that we're doing at the moment where people think that their opinion should be the only opinion, and mm. if someone else has like. I find this with comedy a lot. People will be like, you, you're not funny. Like, you're not a comedian. And I'm like, well, you know what? That's fine. You're allowed to think I'm not funny. I understand, percentage-wise, most people in the world won't think I'm funny. But I am a comedian. Yeah. Like, I've never had another job. Yeah. Like, you know, I've bought right a house. So it's fine. You yeah, know, fine. like, there are some people who think I'm funny. Yeah. But people don't go, I don't think you're funny. You're, you're not funny to me. They go, you're not funny. Because people have mm. this idea of my opinion is the right and only opinion. Well, but isn't that the Why p- do you care if a show gets cancelled? Yeah. Just don't watch it if you don't like it. Yeah, but we can't do that. We have to be involved. So we need an opinion. But the problem is with our opinions, black and white does not fit. Right. It never has, never will. You've right. Got, and that's that's the biggest danger. Well, this is the thing that we don't get taught as well, though. I think that we do get things get painted in such black and whites these days. Well, yeah, you're taught good, evil. You're taught, you know, you're not taught that that lies can be, you know, a little bit um, problematic, but sometimes they help or, you know, as a kid. Like no one says, you're just told right or wrong or yes or no or good or bad. And I think that's really unhelpful in the end scheme of things because it, it breeds a whole bunch of people who still think that way when they're adults and they don't act that way and also they do weird gear that everyone does weird things that you and know, this idea that things fit. have to be absolutes yeah uh, th- i th- hope you'll like this uh, analogy so i was watching sonic highways you know the the oh, documentary yeah. series that dave Grohl made yeah. and i 
loved it, I, right? I loved it too. And loved I must say, it. I've, I, I've run out of interest in the Grohl, even though I love him. Okay. But I loved this right. doc, and so I think he's brilliant. You're going to be perfectly on the right page for me on this, which I loved it. Like mm-hmm. the the images that evoked, the way they yep. talked about the music, the access they got because he's Dave Grohl mm-hmm. and because of all this sort of thing. But it was a beautifully made documentary series. The only thing I did not enjoy about that series was the last five minutes where they would play a new Foo Fighters song. Yeah. Like I have no interest in their music anymore. But fuck, you know what? I love the rest of it and it doesn't make me like Dave Grohl any less no, than no. he's now you like... you don't have to love everything he does. I've loved heaps of things he does. Yeah. He's done... He's already done enough things that I've loved yeah. that he can do whatever the else he fucking wants and Absolutely. I just won't listen to it. Absolutely. And why aren't we okay with that? We have to be. Why you was are, everyone you are, but a lot so, of people get really upset about it. But why that. was everyone so angry with you too? I mean, I guess because it was already mm. in people's iTunes. But even then I'm like, <laughs> if I explain this to someone from another planet, hey, here's what people got mad about in 2014. Mm. Not global warming that's going to destroy our planet. Yeah. Not the fact that, you know, we're at war with each other and every religion and like it's a terrible melting pot in, in the world at the moment. No, no, no. We're not dealing with any of that sort of stuff. We were really mad because the biggest band of the last 20 years – Gave us all a free album. <laughs> and people were uh, so all right, all right, mad. All right, all right. I, I'll counteract you here, okay, though. Here I, I get I it. I don't think it should I, have been forced in the phone. No. But. And that's that's the bit that doesn't sit. It's the arrogance that you you need this. And also the desperation because how do you sell records in this day and age? How do you make an impact? And it's, it's, it felt to me like a marketing meeting right. rather than an actual interest in sharing their music with the world. They just wanted a new way of delivery and delivering something is not music. Like like making that the novel part of the album, you still got to make a good album, which right. I don't know. I, haven't, I still haven't listened to Why it. Why haven't either? Because <laughs> I. this is my point. I'm not here to defend you two's modern music. No, I know. I just like think it's so weird that we get angry about, like, erase it. Or don't erase it. Yeah. I don't even I, I know what don't I've listen to I don't it. even know what I've done with mine. I don't know if it's there or not there. But there's always been an arrogance about you two, particularly in the last ten years or so, yeah. that brings with it it's it's got a feeling of ill will in the in the musical community because they are kinda over they're bloated. Oh no, and no doubt about and, it. And I think this this was just kind of the final nail in the coffin. It's okay. interesting though, isn't it, how much we judge people for taking themselves too seriously. Yeah. It, like, but, but even though even though like we wish we wish that in ourselves as well. And I think all of us would succeed a lot more if we actually believed a little bit more in ourselves or you know, took ourselves a bit more seriously. I get mad at myself for getting mad at Russell Brand because <laughs> I get mad at Russell Brand, but then I get mad at myself because I'm like, well, he's trying to use his fame and whatever to good. talk about decent things. Yes. And it's the same as like when I make fun of Bono. I'm like, he's trying to use his <laughs> massive know. public profile to bring about some, like, yeah, sure, some of it's ego or whatever, but like, he, 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 at it's least he's using thing. all those things for. Like, he's satisfying his ego, like, at least to help other people have a better time. Yeah, although there's issues about whether or not any of the money that he raised for that foundation went to anywhere in particular. I mean, yes. After Look, he there's... paid for his marketing and publicity sure. and, and first-class flights and stuff. But yeah, anyway. I know. I did, and I... the ha- no, who was it that had that? Oh, no, that was it was either Bono or Bob Geldof, one of the two, had a business-class seat for their hat to be flown. I think it was Bono. Had to be flown to uh, the first... Of the Geldof concerts. Um, right. Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, but it might have been a big hat. That's where he... That's you can't jam that hat in economy, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like... But that's where, like, people people turned way back when. It's right, but that is a, that's a good reason to turn. <laughs> it's very hard. But I don't believe that story because Bono no. would have got a private plane to fly. Totally, totally. He doesn't muck around <laughs> with mere mortals. 
Bob Geldof, I did do a gig with Bob Geldof once and he did fly uh, first class and then complained backstage about, you know, how first class isn't as good as it used to oh, be. And God. I was like, I've never oh, been in first class. You have, haven't you? I can feed the world. You've, yeah. been, you've been in first class, haven't I have, you? a couple of times. What's it like, really? It's, it is actually pretty great. I will say that. It's been, it's pretty great. I like to think I'm a man of the people, but I have a lot right. of conscious points. We'd all be, we'd all not be like men or women of the people if we could get a business. I like so it. occasionally on an international flight, um, if they've booked me, because normally when I fly internationally, because I've got the long legs and the yeah. bad hips, I will try to... Um, Bed down. I, so, yeah. So Be what sorry. I'll normally do is I'll... Because I can't really afford business class flights. So what I'll do is I'll pay for premium economy. But because I've got a heap of points, I'll try to upgrade, which Great. happens a bit. Um, doesn't happen all the time. Mm. It didn't happen on my flight to London, which is 24 oh, hours or something. So that was the long, bad one to yeah. lose the lottery on that one. But I did get to sit to next to the Australian cricket at Usman Khawaja. That was oh. quite lovely. It was oh, nice. Wow. Yeah, so that was fun. But... Um, uh, so anyway, uh, but sometimes if they've booked your business for like a, you know, for if you're doing something for work or whatever, and then, yeah, you might get an upgrade to first class. So I've got that a couple of times over the years and it's, you'd, here's what the you thing I'll say about massages? first class, Are they you don't want to fucking sleep because you feel like you're going to miss something. Like, I mean, it's just like the rest of the plane, just better versions of it all. Like, yeah. it's not like they have extra special things. There's not like a pole or anything or a show or oh. like, you know, but it's just, you know, the bed's. Yeah, they put this mattress on the beds that makes it feel like it's a bed and the pyjamas are nicer than the business class (laughs) pyjamas. Saturn, I hope. Um, Are they they full of businessmen who, you know, probably overfed and over over watered before they get on the plane? Um, Is it is it that kind of is it like sort of like the the possibility of heart attacks happening up the front of the plane is higher because they've all congregated? Business class is a bit of a mix. Yeah. Uh, So business class because business class will be people like me who got an upgrade who are like awesome. I'm in business class. I'm gonna drink. I'm gonna like watch movies. I'm gonna order everything. there are actual yes. businessmen, businessmen, you know, yeah. like as in like, you know, on their business trips. And then there's a bit of like couples on a holiday who've like splashed out for business class. And so they're like, you know, taking photos of each other with the champagnes, champagnes. and stuff. And then there'll be the annoying ones, which is some family who are also obviously so fucking rich that there's like two parents and like four fucking kids. Like kids. <laughs> kids. kids don't need to fly business nah, class. No, put them down the fucking back. <laughs> Or there should be like a, a baby business class, which is for yeah. the like the kids of business class yeah. or whatever. Yeah, that's a good idea. Like Revolutionising. Cl- first class is just people who – the thing that I realised when I was in first class was that I was the only one celebrating it like it was my birthday. Yeah. Everybody else who flies first class is used to flying first that's class. They, like that's just yeah, how, that's just they, how roll. they roll. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> okay, so um, enough about my first class shows. <laughs> On my, oh, I love it. On my it's free a, podcast. Yeah. I don't believe in religion. I've got to have something to hope for. Yeah, so <laughs> you do this TV show called Spicks and Sp- Oh No, tell people firstly about Triple J. People who don't know, because it's the 40th birthday of Triple J yes. this week when we're recording. But um, uh, so do you... How was that? We both did the big beat the drum concert we in did. the in the in the domain, which was fantastic. Yeah. And uh, there was twenty five thousand people there, and uh, we were just saying before it was amazing to see the the two headlining acts, like the Hilltop Hoods, were the, who were Australian hip hop act, and they you know did some like songs with a bunch of other Australian hip hop artists as well, and uh, the presets, like who were a dance and electronic group. The, I mean, it's an amazing thing to me, like how that chase, that station has evolved from like a rock music mm. station predominantly. Like we were there 
when they first started playing dance music and when they first started playing Australian hip hop and people like people's minds melted. Oh like, yeah, they, they just, oh don't play that Aussie yeah. hip hop shit and yeah. all that sort of stuff. So it was actually quite wonderful, as you said earlier, to see all of that be the headliner, be the big kind of the big thing that everybody loved at the end of the night because there was so much resistance. It's it's a similar sort of thing, the resistance to change. People right. don't like what they don't know. And That's why uh, so people might not know this about commercial radio, but why you, when you hear a new song on commercial radio, a lot of time they do this, they, they test the music, yes. right? And the way they do that is they just like literally have people that they you know, play 20 seconds of the song to. Now, if you're hearing three songs and you're hearing 20 seconds of the song and somebody's like, which of these do you like best? Chances are you're going to say one that sounds yeah, like you know. something you've heard before. Yes. You're certainly not going to listen to something new and interesting and hear 20 seconds of it and go, oh, yeah, no, I'd like to hear more of that. Yeah. You're going to go, what's that? That's not yeah. like anything that I've ever heard. So it's a redundant system in right. a way and it encourages you know things to be regressive, right. especially in terms of the way you listen to music because commercial stations aren't going to pump out something new. So what Triple J does is play something for a year and then a commercial station, if it proves successful enough, will then pick it up and play it. So Triple J does the groundwork, essentially, and people say, oh, what's, what's it for? You know, it plays all the same shit that commercial stations play. It's like, well, yeah, yeah but generally first. Yeah. And there, they use us a, as a testing. There's a year or two where they're not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a year or two where it's just those guys. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. You can't blame them that two years later you guys will go, oh, yeah, actually, this is a pretty good song. <laughs> like, that's not Triple J's fault. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, yeah, it's um, it, but people don't like hearing new things necessarily. And I think that's something I've – coming back to working at Double J, which is an older version of Triple J, um, there's a lot of people that listen that probably are very comfortable listening to what they know and they like – and I certainly am as well, but I, I don't necessarily think that they want to be just hearing what they know. Uh, I think people still do want to learn and I want to play new things and I want to treat it like it's just as important as it was when you were 20 and, you know, it, it, look, you haven't got as much time, but maybe someone like me is a filter to let you know the good stuff and right. and not just placate you with all of your favourite songs from the 90s because I don't want to hear that. It makes me depressed after a while and I don't know why. I was I was saying this to somebody the, the other day about Triple J. I said the best time for me to listen to Triple J is around this time of the year because what they're doing is they're playing a lot more songs that are songs that they think will feature in their hottest 100 songs. Yep. So essentially you just get to hear all, all the, the best songs of the year because yes, yes. I'm not at the point now where I do need to hear, uh, you know what, I don't need to hear that obscure <laughs> Seagull Ross like, noise. I don't even know I'm what the... I'm playing mo- that over where oh, I yeah, am. Right. So fine, fine. <laughs> I'm like, I just need, I, I want to know what the like, yeah, the the best hundred new songs of this year are. I'll get my head across those ones. And then I, after that, yeah, just you can give just, me a list. Just, just give me a give list me a of list. those ones. Yeah, t- tell me which ones are good. Yeah. That's, that's pretty much, that's what happens when you get older. Yeah. You know, you don't have the time for. I still want to have a cool taste in music, but yeah. just tell me which ones are cool. Tell me which ones I need And I'll to listen know to cool. those. Yeah. And I'll see if I like them. See, that's what I'm here for. Yeah. Yeah. I okay. Hope. Anyway. All right. So. Uh, we, we should uh, finish up in a bit because we're banged on. But I still haven't got a theory. Uh, no, we've had a few. Have we? Yeah, you've you've been very profound. I've liked, <laughs> but I want to I want to talk to you briefly about Spicks and Specks yes. because uh, when you first started doing it, as you already mentioned, it, it was you know you it took you a while to get good at it. You had this opportunity to get good at it. Um, you know, in that first year. And so that's obviously a valuable lesson for people is that mm. idea of giving people time a to a chance to get good at something. Give everything a chance. Right. You know, uh, like coming to things with a blanket viewpoint is just generally unhelpful right. when it comes to anyone making anything new. 
So you do this show for what, seven years, seven eight years? Seven years, I think. Seven, seven years? Seven, eight. A long time. A long time. You did the show for a very long time. It was a a much-loved show still even at the end. Although, Um, you know, I must admit we sort of knew it was time to Okay, so how how did you know? Well, the tides, you know what it's like doing a television show, but if people like it, they love it, and then they'll get a bit sick of it, just Uh like anything, you know, and you could feel the tide was turning a little bit, and our theory was, and we we all agreed, like there was no one that didn't want to finish up. We all just went, it's time. It's time to get out before yeah. it actually turns because right. people's tastes do change. And Well, as and people, the, I think the, the saying is, and I don't know who came up with this originally, but you want to get out when people say, why did you retire, rather yeah. than people saying, why don't you retire? Or, sorry, you got sacked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> or just clean out your desk yeah, and yeah. don't go via the stationary cupboard. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Oh, dear. But, but it's... Still, it must be a big decision in your life where you go, I, I'm about to walk away from something that may be, like, you know. Probably the pinnacle the, of my career in, well, terms of, in terms of how the public perceive how, it. In terms of how the public Not perceive it. Not how I perceive it, right. but, you know, in terms of So that's of how, an interesting thing to talk about, right? Yeah. The difference between those two things. Because externally, people would be like, well. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? It's like, well, you know, it's like anything, really. You, you need to keep moving. You need to keep fresh you need to not stagnate and uh, it's my biggest fear is to stagnate as I get older because it's easier to do so I think it's easier to be settled and it's easier to kind of know what you think and what you stand for and and I don't know I feel the opposite I feel like I've got so much more to fucking learn and there's only so much time right that's part of it I guess that's do you fear that if you stagnate then your mind closes over and you start to not be as open to new influences and new ideas? Yeah, I think so. I think that's going to be a battle over the next sort of 20, 30 years as for many of people of my generation who always thought we were open and, you know, kind of cool with everything and it does get harder. You do sort of tend to, um, you know, uh, retaliate against change or and and I think the, the most important thing to me is to not fall for that because... It's dangerous. It, it It's going back to that whole concept that we were talking about earlier about keeping everyone dumb, you know, like having firm views is actually and encouraging everyone else to have them is actually keeping everyone dumb. Right. Because firm views don't count. It's, no. it's every, it, no, nothing in life is black and white. No, the truth of it is that we're never going to have one solution or the other solution. Mm. Like the thing about progress is you can be afraid of it, but it's going to happen regardless. Yeah. So you can either get left behind or you can try to get engaged and keep up with the system and yeah. adapt your life to it. Okay, we, we should finish up, but I, I guess I, this is a question I ask a lot. Mm. Um, you don't have to have an answer because there is no answer, but... What do you think happens uh, when you die? Hey, do you think about it at all? I Is try it not to. That... It freaks me out. Okay, interesting. Just because it's over. Sure. But I, I don't think anything happens, to be honest. I think it's fairly – I think it's over. And that makes me – that's the bit I don't like to think about. But, okay. But, you know. I don't mind that bit of it because I kind of like I'm like oh yeah because it's over yeah so I won't mind like it <laughs> well, feels I won't sa- know it, I yeah, won't know it feels like as a, an alive person yeah. it feels like a terrible thing but what I realise about when I'm dead is that I'll be dead and I won't you care because I'll be dead exactly <laughs> <laughs> I know that's the thing my dad actually says something really interesting he goes well you know he's sort of giving away lots of his things and at the moment he goes well you can't take it with you when you die right and it's so true it's like we we sort of spend a lifetime collecting and creating and building this thing that is that one person and in actual fact 
it's all slightly redundant when it's all over, but it's a lovely thing to do. So you might as well kind of enjoy that experience or at least keep open to new ones while you're alive rather than make it small. See, look at that. You have heaps of philosophies. And that was a nice way to finish. Was I like it? that. Oh, yeah. Fuck. That was good. <laughs> <I feel relieved. laughs> no, that was an even better. I actually feel genuinely relieved because I thought I was really shallow. That it's over? No. Oh, no, that you've got, that you, that you've got some really... depth. You're wrapped. You've found out something. I will have to charge you $150 for this oh, consultation oh, now right. then. Okay. It's, it's late therapy. Yeah. Uh, all right, we can finish I'm, up. And, and we by can... the way, if anyone can see, I'm sweating, absolutely dripping. It's, a bit, it's, really it's a bit warm in here. And I think the stress of being under there's, there's a There's a bunch of towels there. You can mop yourself <laughs> off. Who am I, Rocky? Yeah. <laughs> um, if it's been a pleasure, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Oh, hang on. No, wait. I want to tell what? people where they can – so they can listen to you on Double oh, J. Yes. What time? Um, between – in Australia between 11 and 3, but uh, so, online and, but you anytime. Can listen, Stream right. anytime, doublej.net.au. So we did the big uh, uh, Double J takeover where they had different people from different eras do shows. Adam and I did a show. And, so great. And I, I had friends in America and stuff who'd never listened to, you know, the show before tuning in. So you can listen anywhere. Now, how do – people can just – listen online on their like apps and stuff yeah. but also just through the website all yeah, that sort of stuff yeah they stream all the programs so yours will be up as well I think for a little bit longer okay the one that you did so yeah doublej.net.au is sweet there you go and go. what about like Twitter or Facebook or any of those things oh, yeah, are you I'm on, on those? those yeah, yeah I'm on those which one of those do you just, want people to find you on oh Miff Warhurst on Twitter that's easy okay. no one can spell it anyway so it's fine they always get it wrong so MYF MYF if you want if you want I'm not particularly glorious on there I just have a go. <laughs> I just have a go sometimes Miff, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.
Stay forever.